G'day, here at the Regenerative Journey, part of our goal is to educate our followers on the benefits of knowing where their food comes from and the knock-on effects this can have on our health, our environment and our future generations. Understanding the connection has never been more important and in the spirit of this endeavour, we have teamed up with Highland Beef Pastoral Company, a grass-fed beef supply chain servicing the growing US grass-fed consumer market, who I'm excited to announce are our Season 6 show sponsors. Essentially, this Australian-based business places cattle on their member graziers' properties at no expense to the farmer and provides competitive returns for every kilo of beef produced, allowing their graziers to focus on improving their businesses in a capital-free and risk-free environment. Highland Beef Graziers are some of the best grass and animal managers in the country. Livestock are humanely and lovingly cared for while on their farms and customers are guaranteed a very high-quality, regeneratively managed grass-fed and finished product with full transparency from farm to plate. If you're interested in finding out more about this program, visit hbpastoral.com.au forward slash Charlie Arnott. It's the whole cycle, nutrient cycle, you know, plant rest, plant growth, you know, mm. soil structure, all that sort of stuff that I started to take on board. And then and I could see the benefits both both above ground and below ground and, and in the animals. And so that was sort of something that really started to drive me. That was Tom Mulligan, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host, Charlie Arnott, an eighth-generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series, I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott. and welcome back to The Regenerative Journey. This is our last episode for Season 6. Um, you'll be listening to it somewhere between the middle and late um, part of January. <clears throat> Hopefully you've had a nice restful festive season. Thinking about getting back to work, for those of you um, who not who are not <laughs> at work by now, uh, good for you. Uh, I'm sure things will kick off for you in September. Uh, what is it? No, September. God, that'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Uh, no, February. <clears throat> I guess for uni students too, um, they don't generally start till the end of February from memory. They get a massive, massive Christmas break. Nonetheless, left. Oh God, it's early. It's early in the morning here. Uh, it's a couple of days before um, Christmas. It's kind of the probably the second last day of official work for most people. It uh, could be the last day. Actually, for a lot of people, they're probably already knocked off because it's a Thursday before the Christmas on the Sunday. Early morning, pumping this last one out, um, 
as the boys who I'll acknowledge, um, well, I'll do it now, Reese and Sean, um, who have been with us, certainly Reese has been with us for since day one. Sean's joined the team in um, uh, this season. Uh, scrambling to finish so they can all go on holidays, understandably. Now, uh, Tom Mulligan is our guest. Um, before I launch into Tom, I just want to have a wrap-up for 2022. Um, we are minutes from, you know, minutes from midnight um, or New Year's Eve at least. So only a week or so left of that, of 2022. Uh, for you, how has it been? I mean, I guess it's one of those things we, we do reflect on every year this time. Um, certainly heading into the next year, we look back, hopefully as part of our, you know, I don't know, I call them news resolutions. I try to avoid using them that because they tend to be tainted with lack of um, execution generally, certainly in my life. So I tend to try and structure that some other way and call it something other, something other than re- resolutions. Nonetheless, uh, it is that time of year. It is a time for celebration. It's also a time for slowing right down. And um, I was also seeing the other day something about the certainly the, the twelve or so days from from Christmas. It is early uh, Christmas. Uh, something to do with the Roman calendar catching no us the, the sort of this new um, uh, new calendar that we have um, catching up the Roman calendar or maybe it's the other way around I can't quite remember but anyway it's just sort of like 12, 12 days or so of purgatory which has other significances um, certainly anthroposophical inf- um, uh, uh, considerations there. Um, so it's a yeah, it's just one of those. It, you know, it, we need to slow down. This is this twelve days or so between to this catch up of of calendars uh, is and Hamish McKay will be able to probably fill me in a bit better on all this, but certainly um, it's kind of this time of purgatory where you know the old world is catching up with the new world in, in terms of calendars, as far as I can sort of see. So it is a time to sort of sit and relax and not do too much because it's sort of in a it's sort of. Um, between two worlds, kind of a period. Um, look, twenty twenty two for us was a was had its challenges. Absolutely, like I guess everyone. Um, we, you know, the good news is um, we didn't have to suffer floods. You know, like up north, um, certainly um, early in the year, northern rivers, um, and certainly more recently down here near Borough, Forbes, Yugara, Cowra got smashed um, with floods. So we didn't suffer that. Um, we've had a really good year in terms of season, and, you know, in, the, in in so much as the theory of there, lots, lots of grass, um, an easy season, you know, restocking more than destocking. Um, it's been it, – that's kind of the challenges, as I've mentioned before, which with, you know, with worm burden and, um, and feed quality, um, but they're things that um, uh, are not insurmountable. Um, and just busyness, you know, probably too much on this last year, this last 12 months for me, I have to say. Um, I've got a really amazing supportive team around me, um, which take up a lot of the, a lot of the slack, I have to say, um, probably too much again. Um, but I'll bang on about that at the end of the end of the episode, I think, and thank a few people. So probably enough of that. Bang on. Um, you just want to listen to Tom Mulligan, who is a uh, a farmer, one of the one of the graziers on the team, uh, Holland Beef Pastoral Team, who, as you know, have been um, wonderful in their support of the regenerative journey in season six. Tom is based up near um, Glen Innes in the Northern Tablelands of New South Wales. Um, he's essentially, you know, running, uh, taking over, or has taken over the, the running of his family farm. His parents are still still very much involved. Um, but it was, a, I met Tom some years ago. I think it was actually a 
um, beef week at Rockhampton with some mutual friends and then we seem to have a few other sort of connections and mutual friends <clears throat> along the way. And then lined up this um, this yarn with Tom um, via Highland Beef um, as one of their their farmers and their their, their, their fatmers of uh, the Highland Beef cattle. Uh, so just beautiful property up there. We talked about the fires that um, they experienced there a couple of years ago, um, the ups and downs, you know, Tom going away and being a, essentially a chippy in, in Sydney and sort of that in itself is interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of parallels with, I'm sure, a lot of farmers and perhaps those listening, you know, you do, you grow up on a farm, you love it, but then there's a there's an urge or a, a, a pressure or a push or something to sort of move your farm, learn a trade, um, and the interesting thing is, you know, a lot of lot of um, a lot of the boys and the girls come home again, which is wonderful. And I think it's really important that um, you know people, the children, you know, don't necessarily go to school or even university and then come straight home again. I think it's you know you either use that university degree and somehow and just get some experience with it, and you know, in the in the context of the real world. Um, and skills like being a chippy, I mean, what a wonderful thing, what a skill to come back and, and on a farm with. Um, I think that I'm sure I'm sure Tom's father was cheering when uh, Tom pitched up with his tool bag on um, and, uh, you know, with the ability to, 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 to build and, and, you know, that's one of the critical things on a farm, infrastructure. But it, no, you know, others that I know and have run into over the years who, you know, gone away and and um, done different things, you know, even techie stuff or, you know, engineering or God knows what other sort of trades and professions and then come home and those skills have been applied to a farm. I think it's really important, you know, in terms of a rural community that, um, you know, children essentially don't just stay there. You know, they, they go out, they learn a trade, they learn, you know, a... Um, you know, further education, ground truth that in the in the real world, and bring it home, and 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 then contribute in a meaningful way in their rural communities and the businesses and families, of course. So, yeah, that just it just it just strengthens the, the fabric of rural communities um, with that. And there's also the people who who you know who live in or, or, or move to rural communities have nothing to do with farming life, and they bring those skills. That's another really interesting dynamic there that they bring skills that just don't really exist in the. In rural communities, um, or certainly not to the sort of level or the the extent of um, people who have never farmed, they come to a, a, um, a rural community and bringing with them those wonderful skills that that um, that are required that farmers aren't necessarily you know um, find themselves learning or fall fall into in their lives. Essential is a sort of a flow of information, people, and skills, you know, in and out of rural communities. Hopefully, more in than out. But Tom, back to Tom, um, lovely fella. He, um, we had a good yarn. We had went out in the paddock, had a, had a look at um, uh, the. I think it was mainly heifers from memory that um, that Highland Beef have placed on on his farm there. Um, really beautiful condition. He's a really really good operator, Tom. You know, he's got great um, great sense of animal husbandry and infrastructure and kind of and you know, nice. Beautiful, tidy farm. All the, all the fencing he's done. Um, again, reflection of his, I guess his his building skill set um, that he has now. But enough of me. A bit more of a Tom. Hope you enjoy this interview um, on the Regenerative Journey with uh, Tom Mulligan. Okay, Tom, we're away. Um, welcome to the Regenerative Journey. Thank you, Charlie, and welcome to 
your or your mum and dad's at least. I'm not sure, you know, who's <laughs> who's running who's running the show. <laughs> I don't think we know either. <laughs> you well, someone's someone's um, living room, lounge room. Yes, this yeah. is Bar, Bar and Mike's lounge room. Where we'd like to do it outside, but the <clears throat> the days hasn't really turned on for us, so it's probably it's probably best to be inside. And now it's warm, and we've, it's in a controlled environment. Um, I'm not sure about how much control I've got over this chair, though. <laughs> do you reckon that's going to be? Is that safe? Do you want? Yeah. Do you want to? Do you reckon that's all right? Yeah. Yeah. It should be. It's fine. fine. Yeah, I'm only. I'm only old. Mum and dad, those chairs. <laughs> so young. Very young. <laughs> Tom. I hope your parents don't listen yeah, to this. They're probably in the office. <laughs> Um, so, and we're looking at it. Uh, well, you tell us what we're looking at it, and give us a. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you the question so you can sort of broaden it all. But um, we, uh, I interview my guests <clears throat> in you know their happy place or their farm, their you know with a view which we have um, out onto um, your garden and the uh, property name um, Ban Wyong. Ban Wyong, that's right. Yeah. Ban Wyong. I was a bit confused coming in, and there was <laughs> yes. Is that a, it's been changed since the bushfires. There's been um, there's a neighbouring property behind us. They that's where the V is, yeah. yeah they, couldn't <clears> find, the they couldn't find it when it was burning um, in 2019, so the the council started to put up more property signs and it's numbers made and directions. Confused. Yeah, um, particularly cattle trucks. So they sometimes end up down there, do they? Yeah, they end up uh, either down at Wandsworth or um, yeah. Or the neighbours, which is neighbors. past your front gate. Yeah, <clears throat> we've sort of had to had to up the signage. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, well I got here. Yeah. There was actually the, the the Google machine on my phone was actually very accurate. Um, so, and we're in a beautiful um, garden that your mum has painstakingly and and grand yes mother? grandmothers yeah they've they started this one um, back in the sixties as they migrated <clears throat> from New Zealand. Um, and, and wound up here at, at Ban Wyong. Yeah. Um, they started it and mum's continued it on and grown it um, into what it is today and it certainly takes a lot of her time through the week to keep it looking as good as it does. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's I love it. I love it. It's, yeah. you know, beautiful mature trees. You've got roses and all sorts of beautiful things going on and, yeah. you know, probably a bit of a – I can imagine – in summer, it's probably quite the sanctuary. Cool. That's right, yes. And someone once said I heard um, that no matter what's going on out in the farm, as long as your garden's mm. um, in good order and, and somewhere that you like to be, then, then home's not so bad. Well, you can escape to it, can't you? That's like right. In the heat of the day yeah. or yep. yeah, or not or not see. I mean, I guess it's, you know, in the event of extended dry periods when it might look not so flash outside. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think um, coming in here and... Sort of leaving the outside world behind a bit, the sheds and yards and whatnot. Mm. If you can block a bit of that out, it sort of puts it at the back of your mind for for a little while while you're in the in the house. I yeah. think that's a good, that's a good thing. Always nice to have a bit of a view, but also nice to um, be yeah, a bit of a recluse here. So you grew up here, yeah? Did you grew up here, yeah. So mm. I was born in Armidale, and we we grew up here and went to the school in Ben Lomond, my sister and I. Um, is it still there, that school? It is, yeah. Oh, cool. There was six kids. It got down to six when I when I was in year <coughs> five, so that was early 2000s, oh, late 90s actually, and then it sort of got to the point where it was almost on the brink of closure. Um, so I ventured down to Armidale, my sister and I, um, and that's where I finished up 
Taz in Taz Armdale. Yeah. 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 Which wasn't co ed when you were there. No, no, it was the transition the junior school was. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, it just since we left, really, I think only a few years after, about 2013, it yeah, became co ed. Mm. Um, and from what I hear, it's going really, really well. So that's yeah, it's. A great I got got a good mate who's got his his uh, his partner's kids are there, boys, and yep. they're, they're loving it. Yeah. <clears throat> There's been a lot of uh, families sort of move their daughters there. You know, mm. their sons are there just to sort of keep them all in the one place, and it uh, yeah it takes the travel if you've got to go to other cities or towns to have them in the one the one spot. And I think just having. Um, mixed sexes in a school situation. I oh, know I went to an all boys boarding school mm. and uh, for 10 years, and it was. I know when I came out the other end, I didn't know what girls were. <laughs> well, these alien things. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. We They <clears throat> tried to include us, our year 11 and 12 classes were combined, some of them, so we, we got to talk to them in the daylight. <laughs> <laughs> For real, yeah, in real life. <laughs> yeah. Wow, both, none of us had makeup on. So it, was, <laughs> it was quite good. <laughs> um, so grew up here. So on farm. Happy memories. Of, yeah, absolutely. Of, um, of all, all that. Yeah, no, we. Can, I can remember it was back when we had horses and mm. sort of quad bikes were only just becoming a thing. Um, we family masters would take a long time, and there'd be a lot of yelling and screaming at dogs and. Mm. Um, Horses bucking and whatnot, but um, yeah, we've sort of probably moved to more of a mechanical age now. Um, distances travelled and whatnot, yeah, things happen a lot quicker on bikes. Um, probably a bit more productive, I think. Um, you know, you can get from one end of the place to the other in less than half a day, which was sort of the case on the horse. Um, Do you remember riding? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we. We, the last pony only passed away not that long ago, so yeah, right. um, yeah, we've just sort of moved into the bikes a little bit now, and yeah, being able to carry a chipper and a spray tank and a few bits and pieces for for the odd nodder that we have, um, yeah, just makes life a bit a bit more productive. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it, <clears throat> I think often you know, well, how do we survive without phones? Well, we had landlines. Mm. <clears throat> Did we have to be more? Uh, organised because you knew you couldn't just call someone willy-nilly. You had yeah, to sort of plan right. things a bit more. I guess maybe with horses it was more like, well, I don't want to be doing five laps of the farm today. I'm going <laughs> to maybe plan my yeah, route a that's bit better. probably a lot more thought went <clears throat> into it, whereas, yeah, that's exactly right. But, you know, I, we grew up um, with that and then we sort of transitioned into when the phones became a, a busy part of our lives and, they're you know, they're another game changer that we have on farm. Mm. Um, we're lucky enough to have a bit of reception. It is patchy in areas. But, um, you know, Dad and I and Mum can make phone calls between each other reasonably well. Mm. That mic on the buggy now. That's someone going out to do something, yes. <laughs> I think it might be Bar. Oh, really? <laughs> what part of Bar? Is that Barbara? No. Yeah, Bar- Barbara, yeah. Yeah, Barbara. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's... Uh, She's off to check. We've got kidding does here at the moment, so she's off to off to have a look at them. Mm. Um, What's that noise? That dog? That'd be the that staffy you ran into. Oh, well, you said <laughs> kidding does, and I thought that sounds like a baby yeah. something. Um, <clears throat> okay, happy childhood. Um, and did you did you appreciate the garden back then? I Just did. Just like mum's thing. Yeah. No, it was spent a lot of time here. You know, running around mulching and weeding and. When I was little, probably out of the farm, out of the garden gates, wasn't really something I somewhere I ventured unaccompanied. 
um, maybe to feed the chooks, but otherwise... When you were very young. When we were very young, okay. yeah. But as, as we got a little bit older and the, the lead got longer, um, mm. you know, we got, we got time on our own bikes and horses and, um, yeah, we could ride to the front gate and just check the mail. Um, School bus? No, we had to – no, the school bus didn't come down our road. We had to get dropped in, which is only a few k's into Ben Lomond, so <clears throat> it wasn't too bad. But mm. no. how, many, how many acres here? We're running 4,000 acres here. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's um, – And has it been 4,000 for some time or are you, are you sort of – has it been uh, – as, as a child, was it, it 4,000 acres you were roaming around? Yes, it was. Look yeah. at the map over there. Mike, yeah. Mike purchased another block, a little block, about 150 hectares, um, an accompanying block that sort of squared our place off a bit. Um, But that was even before my time, so, yeah. But in the scheme of things, you know, before we migrated here from New Zealand, um, the property was much larger and it was split split again um, for the previous owners. Right. um, Through succession and whatnot. Um, So, yeah, it was quite a large parcel of land. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, the way it goes, things got sort of diced up and that seems to be the way places are going at the moment. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we've managed to hold on to 4,000 and, it's yeah, it's a great part of the world to be. And you're explained about part of the world where Ben Lyman, I guess, is um, your local little village. It's um, what's it known for of this part of the world? Well, we're, it was the, the, we're high, in the New England. Yeah, it was the highest railway station in Australia. Um, for a long time until the rail lines got got knocked down. Um, there, people are you know they're TSRs now and people are grazing them, but um, I don't think the trains will ever return mm. uh, through here. It's just the tracks are too narrow and and the freight's too big to get through the through the mountains. Um, really, I heard that they're thinking about opening them up for bike trail. From yeah, well, down. that was another. That's been a thought through the area. It's probably been met with a. You know, there's people for it and people against it. Um, I personally believe it would be a, a great thing for the mm. for the area, you know, because they yeah. were talking about making it from Armadale right through to sort of Tenerfield. Yeah. Um, and, there's you know, there's a lot of kilometres of rail line there that, that could be reused and, bring, you know, bring the economic boost too, the tourists, um, families totally. and, and, you know, even... Business opportunities for young people, young and old, um, you know, they like a little village like Ben Lomond and they think, you know, this would be a bad place to open a coffee shop. Totally. Um, well, we've got yeah. people trekking on bikes and so on and then that just it, it cascades, isn't it? All mm. sorts of opportunities there. Um, That's right, yeah. Yeah, the Victorian ones, I think, have taken off really well. There's a few down around like Tumbarumba yep. and that part of the world. Um, Coral, I know, Nick, my mate at Darmadale, his mum and dad used to burn around there on bikes, yeah. and they, you know, in their retirement. Yep, yep. And it's, it's relatively flat down there too, so it's a good... Yeah, it's a good, yeah. <laughs> it's not too challenging. <laughs> There'd be a few burning calves, I reckon, um, around the, on the Ben Lomond range, <laughs> but a few good hills to ride down to. Um, but, but, yeah, there's, I think it would be a, a great... A great thing to see see the area, and we had a little CRT uh, back when I was a kid. That was a local shop, which is now being turned into a B and B in town in Ben Lomond. Yeah. In Ben Lomond, yeah, right. Yeah. <clears throat> is, there a co- is there a coffee shop? There's not yet. I'm waiting for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it won't be too far away. I think we're all be pretty excited if a coffee shop turned up. There. <laughs> Just someone with a van and a yeah, that's right. machine in the back of it yeah. will do. Um, ben, and also uh, Ben Lomond's known for winters, pretty harsh winter. Well, not harsh, but, you know, it's it's New England. You get yeah. cold winters and it yeah. snows a bit. No, it is. It, we generally 
pretty well every year we've had we've had a snow event um last year five snow days and this year only one and a you know a bit of sleet we were fortunate enough to be working in the cattle yards the day it was sleeting um and that makes for a pretty ordinary <laughs> you can hardly open the crush um with the amount of coats you've got on <clears throat> are they the days when you you think you start thinking about holiday and like planning your holiday <laughs> the prompt yeah yeah but you always think well the saying goes if you get snow then generally you're leading towards a good spring so okay. you know you think well short-term pain for a long-term gain. gain yeah um but yeah, some years we don't, and you know that's fine. And and they can be ordinary springs and summers, but we generally get a lot of tourists up here when it does snow from from the towns around. They come up and throw snowballs and make snowmen and take pictures, bog the place up. <laughs> Bloody tourists. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll get to more of this area in later on. I've got a couple of probing questions for you um, about that, just to dangle a carrot for our listeners. Mm. Just so they might go, oh, <laughs> oh, I'll stick around. I'll listen a bit longer. That'd be good. So childhood here, um, farm life, um, school down the road at Armadale, um, got to year 12 without suspension or expulsion. Yeah, I was in a, a reasonably naughty crowd, but I never got caught um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and so I never got the punishment. So I was seen as probably the the good egg in a bad crowd, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the um, year of what? The year said? of 2007. <clears throat> was, yeah, right. Yeah, a notoriously naughty year, but we mm. all managed to get through it, and uh, and yeah, we're still really all close today, which is great. We mm. just got back from a, a trip overseas for a friend's wedding. He was a school friend of ours, um, so there's about sort of twelve of us that are really good mates, and mm. we seem to be dotted all over the globe at the moment. But yeah, we still sort of share that bond, that school bond, which is really nice. It's good. The one good thing about that close knit, you know, boarding school thing, isn't it? That it's. Uh, uh, is that <clears throat> development of relationships and which often last a lifetime. I went to a school reunion, 32-year-old, 32-year mm. school reunion the other day and um, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And no. seeing some people who, I, truth be known, I, could, I didn't even recognise and <laughs> yeah, remember, yeah. <clears throat> which is rude. I'm pretty good with faces and names, yep. but maybe they were day boys and we just didn't see much of them. And there are others that you, you, you haven't seen for a long time but love dearly and you just go, you know, it's just straight away. You're back to telling silly yarns about what you did at yeah. um, did at school. Yeah. It was fantastic. It's a it's a really yeah. It's a special <laughs> story and is a very special time. I think it's, they sort of make a, a big day of it at the school and rugby's on and mm. a few beers and yeah, a lot of laughs. So it's shenanigans. Good fun. <clears throat> so I got through that. <clears throat> what happened in your your gap year or your year after school? So I. Um, I had an intention of returning back to Van Wyong to work. You did, yeah, straight yeah. away. Um, that was sort of where I, where I wanted to be, and and what I wanted to do. And <clears throat> I got pulled up pretty quickly by mum and dad, and they said, "Not a chance in hell at the moment." Really? Um, because it, what was that? Well, I think the world's a big place, and they wanted me to see a bit of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, experience experience other things in the in life. Um, so I toddled off and went to America for, for a year and I was a ski instructor over there in, in Lake Tahoe in California. So you, you do a skiing in your childhood, that was a thing? Uh, picked it up through high school, yeah, or well, through, yeah, right. through school at, in Armadale um, and really, yeah, had a big love for it there. Unfortunately, we get snow here but not quite enough to ski on. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I'd see you with a couple of planks <laughs> just burning down yeah. the drive. Boogie boards on the damn wall is about as close as we got as kids. <laughs> 
and unfortunately, <laughs> Falls Creek's a bit of a stretch from here, so we yeah. didn't get down a hell of a lot often. But we yeah did a few trips to Japan and yeah, cool. and around, which was which was good fun. Um, <coughs> so yeah, you did California and then did some some of Europe. You know, as the classic gap. Gabby does. Uh, had some friends at schools over there, and I <laughs> mooched around on their couches and attended all their soirees. So not uh, not as a um, a, 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 a teacher or no, a fill-in no, or whatever. Just, it is. A, just, just a visitor. A, yeah, a ring in. Yeah, um, and I did. A, yeah, did a few a few months there, and and that was great. And then came back, um, and I filled the gap in here, helping Dad for a little while for a few months, and then. I had always done building and construction through through school as a as a year twelve subject, and I really had a, a bit of a love for, for building. And so I went down to Sydney and did my apprenticeship down there oh, yeah. for a few years. So I ended up doing the apprenticeship, and eight years on, um, yeah, sort of in the eastern suburbs of Sydney doing sort of higher-end residential work, which was which was really good fun. Um, so where did you do your training, your, your actual, was it a TAFE thing? Was it a, yeah, Randwick. Okay. Randwick's college. And then you were doing, like, you were, you were um, a, yeah, apprentice, so you are actually doing the work on on site, learning that stuff and yeah. then doing the theory as part yeah. of the TAFE thing. So one <clears throat> night trade was, was where I was supposed to be and some nights I didn't turn up, some I did, um, but we got through that and got my ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we were. Our apprenticeship was pretty well in the north and suburbs of Sydney, so around sort of Taramara, the beaches, that part of it. And then uh, we sort of lived around that that eastern side, and um, yeah, got got some work contract work with with local builders in that area. So that was that was really good fun, and played footy down there. And you know, school friends were there at uni, and you know, starting to get jobs and. Or meeting, you know, friends and girls and whatnot. So it was, yeah, it was a really good time. Um, but yeah, I sort of got to a point, I guess, where I love Sydney, but I, it was somewhere I didn't really want to see myself being forever. Um, it was sort of starting to get a little bit stale, I suppose. Um, you know, we didn't really leave that that eastern bubble a bit. Mm. And I thought, yeah, there's more to more to the life than this. So. And we'd had a conversation with with mum and dad and my family about about what's happening on farm and where what you know the next step they were sort of thinking about where they'd like to be and what they'd like to do and I said I'd you know this could be an opportunity you know the right opportunity to come back. Um, what? How long ago was this? Set the scene. That was twenty. <clears throat> 16, end of 2015, 16. So that's five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So that was that was sort of a decision to make and, and at the time I, I had a, a girlfriend. She was a local girl from Glen Innes and she wanted to go back to, to university. So we actually moved to Yamba, um, which was kind of a bit of a halfway point, I suppose, to me being here. You know, we're only three hours to the coast um, and her to be able to study. So I'd sort of drive up through the week, spend the week here. Yeah, cool. Living with mum and dad for a year, which was... Which <laughs> just was, for the week, your weekly just border? Just a weekly border, yeah. It was back to boarding school under mum and dad's roof. Was it, was it worse at school? Uh, Food hopefully was better. I, I feel like I was a better housemate than I was when I was younger. <laughs> you were a better housemate? <laughs> I think so, You'd be yeah. more tidy. Yeah, I did a bit of shopping and <laughs> helped cook. I cook once a week. And, but, no, that was good fun and... and uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it was probably the drive that started to get a little bit tedious um, up and back, you know, early mm. early Monday morning or, or a Sunday night. 
Um, and then Ellen, my, my then girlfriend, she was sort of finishing her her degree and whatnot, and we thought, oh, maybe we could go to Armidale. Um, so she thought that would be something that would suit her as well. So we we moved to Armidale and renting a house there, and I was driving up from Armidale, which was a hell of a lot closer. Easier drive. Yeah, and we had some friends still in from town there, and and yeah, it was a really it was a really good time. Just before we move, <clears throat> keep going. So back to conversations with mum and dad about farm. If I can ask, like. Was there a trigger? Was there was there a seasonal kind of thing? Was was were you kind of nudging in, going, "I want to come back now"? What what was kind of the catalyst for that conversation? Was it was it more like, "I want to get out of Sydney because I'm over it. I need to go somewhere," or was it, was there a push and a pull? What were, kind of what was the yeah, there dynamics? There was never a. It was yeah. There wasn't really a a definitive. Um, you know, there wasn't a a health scare or anything like that that happened. I think it was at the time mum and dad were probably talking around the kitchen table about what they'd want to do um, going forward and and I suppose if if the kids, you know, my sister and I wanted an opportunity to, to come back and, and originally I always had and I suppose it sparked the, the re-sparked the interest and sort of thought, you know, this is a great opportunity um, and, you know, it was somewhere I wanted to be, it's somewhere I love, um, it's work that I love. And, um, yeah, we had sort of early succession chats about about the direction it would go and how it would look and, and whatnot, and it's still something we're working on at the moment. Um, you know, it's never easy. So a sister, you're saying? Yeah, I've her? got a sister. She's yep. a physiotherapist down in Armidale. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's close by. Close by, yeah. And she's got a, a daughter and another one on the way. Yep. So yeah, there's other, there's definitely other people to think about, which makes you know it's it's a complicated and revolving feast. You know, all mm. our families are growing. Um, we're having sort of we're having our kids and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Well, at least you're having the conversation. Yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. And which is kind of the hardest step. Or, yeah, or, 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 it is. Also, yeah, And I think um, I think at the time, maybe mum and dad were maybe starting to get a little stale um, here, and they were, you know, maybe production was starting to slow down. And they just sort of were doing doing enough to keep them going. Yeah. Um, and I sort of think when I did come back, that when I sort of got my head around it all um, that, you know, things could start to ramp back up. And I think it sparked and, you know, it re-sparked their interest in it a lot, mum and dad. It sort of gave them a second a second wind and, and you know, they're definitely a big part of the massive part of the business, um, you know, from the day-to-days and whatnot and decision-making and planning and, and even just um, experience, the wealth of experience that they have for this part of the world is massive. You know, they've been here for 35 years um, running it themselves and, you know, they've seen all seasons, they've seen disasters and good times and the bad times and they're a really good sort of voicing board, I suppose, to <clears throat> to fall back on to see, you know, what do you think about this and that, and, mm. which is, you know, you can't buy that sort of wisdom Um and you know they and they love they love sort of helping out with that with that sort of stuff and and being active in the day to days. So it's yeah no it's a it's a good time to be here. Do they and I'm sure they appreciate you being here and your I mean I guess it's what a great combination of history and <clears throat> experience and <clears throat> you know different I would say different way of thinking but just it, it's it's formed 
from a different time and over many years and yours is your experience is not so long um, but certainly valuable that's that's a pretty good place to be mm. in terms of where you're talking yeah you know yeah. you're talking obviously succession you're talking farming and and, and you know how did they um, well I'll, I'll get to that one uh, a bit more about changing the practices or if you did and how mm. that all kind of how that all kind of went yeah um, I thought I had a question there about uh, your love of you said before I can't remember the words. You love farming, or you love doing it. What was was that? <clears throat> was that born of? I guess living here and it ingrained in you, and you, you love that, or got, was going away and doing something totally different? Did that change your perspective? Because you actually went, you had a reference point. The, the, the new reference point being building in Sydney and living mm. in Sydney versus actually that farm life was pretty good. What life was like here? Yeah. No, I mean, life was great you know, as a kid growing up and we were always busy doing something, you know, it was, we had sheep back then, it was shearing time, um, you know, cattle work, there was, you know, fencing, all sorts of stuff going on and it was always very interesting and exciting. Um, and, you know, that, that was sort of the reason I thought that maybe after school was such a great time to come back. But <clears throat> I think in hindsight the, the decision they made to send me away um, probably kept, you know, and the fire kept burning about that, but just to experience other things, um, meet new people, um, you know, just, yeah, experience a different life, I guess. And But in the back of my mind, it was it was always still there. You know, I'd be ringing up weekly and we'd be talking about what was going on here, um, you know, how things were, and, and Sydney was a, a bit of a stretch, but, you know, we'd come back as, as many times through the the year as we could and, you know, even though it was only a weekend or a long weekend or a short holiday, you know, you'd always enjoy going out to <clears throat> see what was going on. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the the fire just kept burning, you know, all the way through until that point when I was in Sydney and thought, yeah, it's just sort of somewhere I don't particularly want to be forever. Mm-hmm. And, and farm farm life, you know, it, it suits me and, and, you know, I enjoy, enjoy the lifestyle. No, I guess it sounded like it was it was time. That's not a that's not a noise noisy here very often. <laughs> That'd be a Telstra rep, I reckon. The, la- the landline. <laughs> or someone asking you to don- donate to someone. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not at all it is. <laughs> <laughs> we had our phones fixed the other day, and it's, it's not on the copper anymore. It's like yeah, yeah, some, you know, via somewhere. And um, ten years ago, they. The phone's been crap for ten years, yeah. and I'd ring them and go, "Oh, the, you know, it would rain," and then the you'd be the phone would be crystal clear and it'd rain. Like you'd look at it in your pit of yeah. and then it go <laughs> and be gone for a day. And I rang them so many times, and they yeah. said, "Oh, I've had technicians out. Oh, it's out of the ground, and the sheep have eaten it." I was like, "Well, can't you replace it? <laughs> oh, it's too wet or too this." Yeah. Anyway, we put up with it for so long, but I guess we're so dependent on mobiles, landlines just aren't as important. Yeah, we have um, a heavy click in ours with the energizer. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we had a bit of that too. A big, heavy click and people go, what? What is that? I think, oh, at least the energizer's working. (laughs) (laughs) You can test it. Is that fence working? (laughs) Yeah, pick up the phone. It's running hot. (laughs) Um, So so move, yeah, so let's get back to Armidale. So you were still commuting, you know, uh, I guess daily then. It's Mm. not that far. Yeah. Um, Farm. When did you, I mean, knowing some of what you're doing now and kind of your practices, at what point did, which you you can extrapolate on, but at what point did um, 
What was the catalyst for you to start changing? You grew up here, probably not unlike me, where you did things a certain way and as a kid and then mm. after school and mum and dad, you know, that's all fine and great. And is there a point at which you went, oh, I want to try this or I've been reading this book about that? Yeah, it was funny. I think you should say that. The, so years ago, um, back when I was only a kid, uh, in the early 90s, Bar and Mike went and did a grazing for profit course. Oh, nice. And they were one of the early sort of uh, learners, I guess, of it. And when they came back, they were pretty energised about about fencing and, you know, rotational grazing, cell grazing, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and there was a lot of work going on on the farm about, you know, chopping country up to, to sort of um, make the most of it, utilise the feed, all that sort of stuff. Because pre uh, the course, they were sort of a bit more set stocked, uh, Super phosphate was going out, um, and they weren't getting the reaction um, from the super that it once was. And <clears throat> Dad had a can recall a conversation he had about with an agronomist about super, and he said, "Oh, you know, it's just it's not really doing what it used to do." And the agronomist said, "Just double it." And you know that started ringing alarm bells. I'd imagine. <laughs> Definitely in Mike's head, and that was probably his catalyst for change to go and to go and look outside the box, and that was their sort of starting point. And through through schooling, I, I always remember we'd go and see friends' places, and we you know local properties around the place, and you know they'd have a heifer paddock, and they'd have a cow paddock, and a weaner paddock, and a bull paddock, and a sheep paddock, and you know there wasn't a hell of a lot of stock moving going on. Whereas came back here, and nearly every day we were out to move some animals. And I thought, Gee, what, what are we doing? What's going on here? You know, they don't do that. We're doing this. So what was happening here, I guess, was normal, like, like as in, yeah. as in that, well, that was kind yeah, of yeah. Well, that was did. sort of their learnings from <clears throat> Terry and the guys at mm. RCS. And mm. then um, as I got older, and they sort of explained it to me what was going on. You know, that it's it's just. It's the whole cycle, nutrient cycle, you know, plant rest, plant growth, you know, mm. soil structure, all that sort of stuff that I started to take on board. And then when I did return, um, I'd had a little bit of exposure to it through just talking to mum and dad and whatnot, and it sort of started to click. But then I, when I returned, I booked myself in for a RCS, the Grazing for Profit course. And Mike actually joined me as well. Oh, so yeah. it was a refresher for him, but it was a... Oh, is it Armadale, was it? Yeah, at the, at the bowling club. Yeah. And, uh, and still, you know, there were some guys I met, um, Stuart Austin and, and whatnot, that were doing it as well. At so that. when was this one? Uh, 20, whoa, being 2016, maybe? Okay. Yeah. And it all just clicked. It just made sense what we were doing. Um, and it was probably the backing I needed to, to sort of pushed me in that direction um, and I could see the benefits both both above ground and below ground and, and in the animals. Um, and so that was sort of something that really started to drive me and, 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 and you know, putting in more infrastructure, putting in more wire and water, breaking country down. We still had paddocks that were, you know, 200 hectares and they were underutilised and overgrazed places and that was a massive a massive sort of wake-up call, I guess, to, to start cutting some of it up. And, yes, it does lead to, to more work, but I think the benefits you see um, in the paddock far outweighs, 
you know, having to go and move them every few days. Um, so we, we've done cell grazing, like a pizza wedge, you know, a trough with, with sort of a wagon wheel set up. Um, a lot of the places sort of that design. And then we've moved into some strip grazing. So, you know, hot wires and, and pipelines under hot wires and mobile troughs and things like that in some of those large paddocks. And that's been massive for, for feed budgeting, um, you know, we know how many hectares and how many days and how many kilos we've got, you know, what the mob that's in there is removing um, and and it just, <clears throat> yeah, just planning, I guess, is so much easier um, for, for the non-growing season. But also, you know, we've got a long way to go. We've still got paddocks that are that are probably too big and we're still working on, on cutting some of them down and getting some getting them off dams and into reticulated water. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a constant, it's a constant job to, to design and that's probably a good, I, I really enjoy that part of it, um, you know, being able to utilise country better now um, than probably once was. Just a bit more technical <clears throat> questions. So, because, I mean, we're um, not dissimilar in that, you know, still cutting up paddocks or actually refencing, as in taking out the ones in the middle, you mm-hmm. know, changing from wagon wheels to sort of, you know, finding it hard to sort of justify a $1,200 concrete trough sitting in the middle of a paddock that yeah. gets used two weeks a year, mm. you know, <clears throat> thinking, well, that maybe we can pull them out and we know where the pipe is and putting risers in and sort of reshaping, yeah. using a lot of Western fencing now <clears throat> to re just secure paddocks because we've got sheep, you know, more sheep and, mm. and it's, it is a constant evolving thing and then someone says, oh, you know, it has some little epiphany about the fencing they're doing. You go, oh, I'll try that too and I'm just so sick of experimenting now. I just want to go, <laughs> what's the best way to keep sheep in? What's the best way to keep cattle in? You know, and, how yeah. to, and, it's just, and then it's a matter of chopping up. Do you use my grazing? We do, yeah. Myers a massive part of our of our day to days. It was after doing the the grazing for profit course. I was I had paper charts on this table where mm. we're recording at the moment, and it was sort of my workspace. Uh, and as time evolved, it sort of got a little bit tedious on chart. But you know, then along came Meyer, and and it was just a yeah absolute game changer. I think um, just for the data that we can. That we're recording, um, keeping from livestock to, to grass mm. to uh, mapping, fencing, you know, it's just such a – and rainfall, that's a massive one too, mm. to keep a track on what's going on. Um, yeah, I use my every day. Um, I log on there and, and do the moves. On your phone when you do your move or you get back here and do yeah, it? Yeah, generally at Smoko or, or, you know, at home at dinner time. Um, yeah. Just yeah, it only takes five minutes um, to to record the move. Yeah, if you've had rainfall, that's right. It's a yeah. good habit. Yeah, and you know where we've taken on a lot of adjustment cattle, and and we're sort of merging mobs and joining them and numbers, and we've got to keep track of what's going on and who's got what and where, and uh, and it's been really great for that. Mm. Um, just and you know, even recording. You know how many kilos of feed they're removing from paddocks. Mm. Um, rest times—that's another massive one. You know, mm. we can look back and say, oh, you know. that paddock's had forty-seven days. That one's had one hundred and twenty-seven days." Yep. You know, we know, we know, and you know, but it's it, in saying that it's also just a tool, part of the yep. tool box, I guess, um, in some decision making. Um, and I love that it's got a, <clears throat> a sort of an average. Um, sort of a benchmark for the property and, you know, whether you're below or above it and it may suggest that, you know, you could put on another couple of thousand ASE or take them off, you know. It's it's just a, yeah, another sort of tool that we that we have. 
And how many years have you been using that now? Oh, it'll be going on four years now, I think, three yeah. or four years. So yeah. pretty well versed in that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had a question for you about um, – Oh, shit. Now, oh, what do you – see, no sheep. Oh, you've got goats, which you'll get to. Goats, yeah. So your cattle, uh, you keep them generally behind a single hot wire? Yeah, mostly for the most yeah, part we do. Yeah, yeah the we've got a breeder mob. Um, I'll sort of take you back to pre-drought. We were, we were breeding self-replacing females and, you know, steers were going off um, as feeders to generally to the feedlots uh, and we – Sort of buying in trade cattle in between where it, where it suited us, um, and then unfortunately the drought rolled around and we we'd been destocking since sort of 2017, 18, and into nineteen. And how many? What was your breeder size? More? We had we had sort of five hundred breeders, yeah, um, and that was keeping us pretty busy. And you know we had and then followers um, and then trade cattle in between that, and we'd sort of, and that that was that worked really well. Um, but I guess the drought too was an opportunity. We got sort of to the the point of of, um, of the point of I wouldn't say running out of feed, but we wanted to conserve feed. You know, we wanted something yeah. on the paddocks, and we had cows that were pregnant, and we made a really tough decision to send them to the abattoir. Mm. Um, so we sent like five or six, seven V doubles of pregnant cows to the abattoir, which was a very hard time. Mm. But Is that we, like into 19? <clears throat> yeah, that was, mm. yeah, that was pre-spring um, and we just hadn't okay. had any winter rain and spring was just as dry as dry and, you know, bushfires and whatnot were around. Um, but it was an opportunity to, to clean up the cow herd, I suppose, and we, we had through them and kept our best, sort of best hundred um, we had enough feed to, to sort of keep them ticking through and we carved them down early, weaned, did all that stuff to try and can keep the cows in as good a nick as we could um, and they joined back perfectly all right. We had a we had a 100% joining mm. after the drought, which was amazing. Wow. Uh, the weaners went on to feed when it started to rain in in 20, yeah. um, in sort of early January when it broke and, and the place just exploded. You know, the feed that we grew was just... It, you just couldn't get enough. <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a lot like my science around it's a bit not that tight, but uh, from what I understand, like the mineralisation that happens mm. through a drought, <clears throat> you know, and Terry McCosker talks about those, you know, like it, it's a very big disturbance. Yeah. You know, a drought, as is. is a flood or a yeah. bushfire. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the a good season or that massive growth is always on the back of, you know, like a bushfire, mm. unless you absolutely cook the ground and it's literally sterilised. Yeah. Um, that's a stimulation. That's a disturbance. Uh, and floods too. Um, but, yeah, so not surprising you had a – and I guess it's also that – it was also, I guess, that perspective on you've just been looking at the, the window for two years at pretty ordinary conditions. Mm. Like any growth after yeah. that is kind of big. Yeah, that's you know? right. <clears throat> and even, you know, when it, when it started to rain and, you know, the whole place looked like – you know, that green tinge, almost a golf course, you know, there was, yeah. we sort of conserved as much, but the feed, you know, even dry paddock, you know, the feed does break down, um, you know, the wind gets to it yeah. and blows around and whatnot. It's hard to keep 100%. It is hard. It's a bit yeah. of a myth, you know, yeah. to think you're going to keep 100%, yeah. even with, as you say, taking stock off well early, whether you sold or move them or whatever it mm. is, and just expecting that to stay there. Yeah. It, it just... 
literally blows away. It does break down. Yeah, that's right. And but but yes, you touched on the mineralisation, and uh, and that was something that Mike and I had talked about, and um, and he'd mentioned it. He's sort of a little bit more well versed in minerals, soil minerals, and things than I am. Um, and that was a point he made, and just said, you know, that because of these three years that we've had, um, you know, mm. it'll it it will do what it's doing. Mm. And yeah, we 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 tore away with feed, um, which was great, and you know it didn't take long to bounce back at all, even though it was you know it was terrible. And I think mm. it was interesting the f- the seasons because the drought broke in in January, it sort of felt like spring. So our our seasons were one behind each other. We're not you know it was normally our our summer was our spring, and then our autumn was our summer, and and then winter was autumn. And it and cattle did really well through throughout that year, um, and I you know even through the winter when they normally don't they were doing a kilo in that year I'll never forget it, and I thought you know this is this is the go um, <laughs> until the next year came it was back to <laughs> it was back to cold winters and, and wet and whatnot and things slowed down but yeah it was a very it was a very interesting experience the drought. Yeah. Well, I think what, what I've kind of been hypothesising a bit is. And not just me, I don't think. Is um, you know, we're now in, into our third year, so 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 at, at Burrow was like early February. That's that dog. It's, it's not. A, it sounds like a bat. It's a timing bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's slipping. Um, the so February twenty twenty is when the rain started falling at Hennepin mm. So there was there was yeah twenty twenty one twenty two. What are we in that 22? Yeah, so that's the third year. So we've had two and a half years. Like, Well, yeah, I guess it's two and a half years since the rain started falling. Mm. Um, but as we've gone through that two and a half years with some seasonal variation but wet summers, you know, yeah. I reckon and we had we had our sheep, and we were talking before about weight gains in young cattle and so on before and, that, yeah, they sort of, um, at our night home we sent some away because we just weren't getting the weight gains through mm. winter, which is not something we generally you know, want to carry young stock through winter anyway. But, you know, and our sheep sooked it, you know, I've said it before, but yeah. young, especially young sheep really sooked it through and take, took, just weight gains were miserable. Um, but it kind of felt like the normal seasonal, the dry period over summer, mineralisation, a little bit of mineralisation, normal, annuals senescing, doing their thing, mm. natives coming back, you know, that those summer actives, a normal season we didn't have. Yeah. And... Whilst there was a flourish of feed early in summer, <clears throat> on the back of that, early in early in the season, you know, after that rain, it's like everything's exhausted. Yeah, it's like getting to a point going. I just want that summer back, yeah. and I really now appreciate a normal summer. It's like a, it's a line in the sand for annuals to like finish. Yeah, and for perennials to kind of go. I've done my thing. Mm. If they get to that point, if they're not grazed and yeah. so on, and kind of have a break. Yeah, and then there's the next wave of whatever the natives or whatever else comes along and. You know, weeds or whatever you want to call them over over summer kind of do their thing, and things just going. We just need a break. Yeah, and and, and so there's a quality kind of an issue, not sort of quantity, but a quality issue, which yeah. I think really played out in weight gains for sheep and cattle. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, yeah, you know, there could be a, a huge bulk of feed, but it doesn't have a lot of. I mean, you know, it's just, it's it. just gut, yeah, no guts to it and a bit watery and, mm. and can run through them and, you know, it's not nutrient-dense, the, the grass. Um, but, yeah, it, 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, and and Wade gains such a fickle, such a fickle. The stars have just about got to align um, really well for Wade Gain to happen. Um, there's just so many variables, as you know, uh, to keep to keep animals going and going well. Looking for more information to assist your regenerative journey? Come join Charlie and his guests around the kitchen table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the Regenerative Journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliearnett.com.au forward slash the kitchen table. And if you're not totally satisfied with the value of your membership and wish to cancel it within the first two months, we will give you a full 100% refund, no questions asked. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Let's get on to, um, I want to get, well, we're talking about animals and weight gain. Let's talk about Highland beef because um, as we know, oh, just trying to find a little notepad here, Tom, my little yellow <laughs> sticket notes. You got them down there? Which I try not to use because they, they get caught up somewhere. Do I put them in a little, little pocket? Because I'm hearing good stuff and I want to get to it later on. I'll write them at the top of my notes here. Um, uh, lick is the thing we talked about before. Um, uh, what the hell was I just talking about then? Getting into Highland. Oh, yeah, Highland beef, sorry, yeah. So um, weight gains, we're talking about, we're here, Highland beef, for the show sponsors for season six. And, um, you know, we met each other... Was it beef week? Yeah. I think it was. Three and a half years ago. So it was May... Whatever. 18, was it 18? Yes, it might have been. Yeah. Might have been. been 19. No, it might have been 19. 19. Um, and then here and there on the odd occasion. <clears throat> um, but really, you know, great to be here um, speaking with you as a um, as one of the Highland Beef um, producers, farmers, graziers. So let's talk about that and your involvement. When did you – because there's lo- lots that happened between kind of you coming home and, you know, GUP and those sort of things. We're jumping to it. I'll get back to that. We want to have a bit more of a deep dive, but now we're talking about weight gains. Let's just stay with high Yeah. Beef. So I suppose after the, the drought, um, we had a hole in our stocking rate. And we had a, a the, the farmer had had a bit of a break because we'd, we, you know, we'd grown a big bulk of feed. We still just had our 100 cows and, and we did manage to keep the goats and a few wieners. Um, but there was still a massive deficit in our stocking rate. And the farm was rested, um, you know, the paddocks were full and we started um, sourcing adjustment cattle. And at that time, the cattle market was starting to break uh, records mm. and... Um, we were probably a little bit slow to react on the upward trend of the market to buy back in early enough that sort of by the time we thought about, you know, doing it, it was just week on week it was going through the roof Mm. and it was starting to become a pill that was very hard to swallow. And, you know, doing through through the RCS and and different opportunities that arise with having grass um, was the idea of selling it to someone else who who did want to buy these wieners, Mm. you know, and not that, you know, whether they were overpriced or, you know, as other different people will see it as other ways. Um, So we, yeah, opened up our doors to um, producers around the, well, Queensland, New South Wales, all over the place um, to come and place cattle up here for, you know, as long as they like and, and as long as the seasons kept going and we were managing grass and stocking rates and things, um, which was a great source of, 
uh, income. You know, it was it was monthly. Um, and, you know, we had we were making pretty good money. We'd worked out our adjustment rate. I'd done a KLR marketing school and we'd worked out sort of our, our costing and things. And so there was a way to be profitable um, by having other people's stock on here. And there was still, we sort of got to a point where there was still a hole in the stocking rate. And some local agents approached us and said, you know, there's there's a team starting up this <clears throat> this company. They're, you know, doing some grass-fed stuff into the States. Heifers, um, would you like to have a go? And we, we said, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. So we... This is last year? This was 20, September 2020. 2020, right. Yeah, yeah. so they came from um, just over the border mm. and they were sort of flat-backy cattle. We normally sort of rust that by Boss Taurus is sort of something that does really well up here and we we're a little bit dubious on on those sort of cattle but yeah they they fired along just fine and we had we the first we took a b double at the beginning just 90 um and just to sort of test the waters and they you know everything was going well and we'd met with tony um spear who's a who's a great guy Mm. and he was a really good to deal with and and tom and luke at the the agents in in armadale were really good to deal with we'd had you know I'd, i'd had things to do with them in the past so, you know, it, they just sort of ticked along and, and I was working out the, the finances of it, I suppose, and, you know, if we could get these animals to do what we wanted them to do weight gain-wise, we were far better off than having a paid-by-the-week job. Um, and, yeah, so that was that was sort of something that that's why it sort of stuck up and pricked our ears up for it. Um, I took the 90 through and yeah, I guess there was a really uh, a good feeling about sending kill cattle off that were grass fed on Ban Wyong, you know, and it was pretty well all the hard work was done by us, I guess. You know, finishing an animal is not always an easy thing, um, but you know, sending those cattle off that were you know right for eating um, that had been fattened here was was something that sat really well with us. Um, yeah, so that was that was the first year, I guess, that we we'd stepped into it. Um, and then since then we've sort of upped the up the ante. We've got uh, 369 heifers on here. We went a little bit larger this year. Um, same story, flatback animals, sort of from Central Queensland. So what 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 breed? What are, what mix of breeds are in there? Uh, there's some Brangus heifers, um, mm-hmm. and, and then mostly yeah, composite sort of a composite animal. There's a bit more. Um, yeah, there's a bit more euro in them this time, yeah. which is always nice to see because they do do well up here. Around here. Um, and they, yeah, this winter have ticked along really well. Um, you know, it was a hard winter last year, but this year they've they've sort of gone to sort of 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 a, a day. Which it's good is, winter. Yeah, there, which is really good because sort of traditionally winter's a bit of a <clears throat> snap-off for us and, yeah, things can go backwards very quickly if they're, yeah, not looked after very mm. well. Um, you know, we can get some ordinary weeks where they'll sit around and mope under trees for for a fortnight, even if the if the fog and the rain and the snow comes in. Mm. Um, but luckily, this year wasn't quite so bad. But yeah, we went larger and and just found that dealing with them, um, you know, they were they were sort of a client. I guess we call our GSTs clients um, a good way to source cattle quickly and to fill voids in our stocking rate mm. so we can you know ring them up say you know we've got an opportunity we can take 400 and you know pretty well uh yeah they'll 
you know, have them on the truck the next week from, from sort of they'll have them sourced and, and sort of something that we see that we can finish. Um, you know, the weights, are, they, they come as sort of wieners, sort of that 270, um, 280. We kind of like them around that, that sort of weight because mm-hmm. um, then, yeah, we've got that, the, you know, the growing season in front of us and we can get them, get them done by autumn. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the more you do it, the more and monitoring weight gains and, you know, taking out the variables as one can, whether it's with some supplementation like some lick that, mm. you know, through winter or whatever as we talked about, you know, that makes it a bit easier for budgeting, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, that's right. So we, we can sort of work out what it costs us per head per day in lick um, and we know what we're getting, you know, as a, as a kilo rate. And you can crunch the figures pretty well, um, and yeah, if it if it's in the green, then then you're sort of right to go. And and getting into that lick was something we trialled this year was a green feed lick because we we had still green stand to feed in the paddock. We used a a Rumen Works lick um, that's non HGP antibiotic free, um, a lot of trace minerals that they may not get out of the paddock. Um, through through the tough times, and it's yeah, definitely went a long way to to keep them yeah fresh. I guess. Do you know what that cost a head per week or a day or seventeen cents per head per day? Seventeen cents. Yeah, it's the way it's the way we worked it out. Yeah, right. Um, given Would... they yeah they generally lick sort of around that um, yeah two hundred grams a day they they base it on yeah. Yeah. 200 grams a day. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Um, and, you know, it, it, it increases if, if the animal's larger or smaller. Yeah. But that's sort of where we worked on. Yeah, right. And I'd seen that product used um, with some adjustment cattle that had come and they they'd, it was actually cows and calves and they had, yeah, they looked great on the back end of winter. Um, so it was something we stepped into. Have you heard of the, uh, the oh, you might probably have the seaweed Seaweed, you know, powders and things, and increased weight gains of ten or twenty percent. Yeah, thirty grams a day mm. or something. But that's, yeah. I think that's a pretty controlled environment um, for the research, which may be challenging to kind of limit consumption of thirty grams a day. Yeah, gra- you know, like a you know, mm. lick trough yeah. paddock situation. Yeah. But I reckon that'd be a yeah, that's a pretty significant. That I don't know what massive. thirty grams take cost, but. I think, yeah. the, I think the numbers work out pretty well. Yeah, and absolutely. And there are a lot of different um, products on the market, um, and I guess it's about finding one that, that sort of suits suits your your business and your operation. Um, mm. But yeah, well, it's definitely definitely a, a space that's that's going to increase. And I think also, you know, they're talking about licks for methane re- reduction and and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. It'll be, and you know, gut bacteria and all that mm. sort of stuff. There's going to be, yeah, quite a quite a shift, I think, into into lick technology. So talking about lick, you mentioned that um, the 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 lick that you are on, it's, there's no was it rumensin? Rumensin, yeah. So rumensin. it's a it's an antibiotic, um, yep. which which does not go well with with where Highland beef are trying to target their 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 beat. Um, mm. 
So, yeah, you have to be careful because the bags aren't really clearly labelled, but there is a, a note that says they do or do not have romancin in them. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you've just got to make sure that you're you're getting the right stuff. So with the, the program, um, no romancin as in um, antibiotics in, in animals, whether it's a lick or I guess sometimes animals need a, a shot of antibiotics because they might have an infection and then, again, that, that might take them out of their... Um, uh, yeah. uh, you know, they they then can't get sent off because that's the <clears throat> one of the one of the the, the selling points is mm. they're free of antibiotics and other nasties. Yeah. Um, what about the story? Because I think one of the great things about um, well, the, the the clients in the states um, who then sell on to you know customers over there is the story and the traceability. Mm. Um, you, have you got a good story to tell about that? Are you uh, you know does do they know about you know do you are you are you on Instagram a lot taking shots of um, selfies? Yeah, I've started an Instagram account. Um, what is it? It's Ban Wyong Boar and Beef. Ban Wyong Boar, oh Boar as in goats, Go, Boar yeah, and Beef. Yeah, there you go, everyone. Follow Tom <laughs> on that. I better write so that down. So that's just a, a yeah, just a bit of a fun <clears throat> page that we you know we keep. You know, I've got friends in the city, and I think they enjoy you know, watching what we do and, and there's some exciting moments and some not-so-exciting moments to capture and <laughs> sharing them with, with people. I You know, I get a bit of a kick out of it. Um, and I and it sort of brings what we do to reality, mm-hmm. I guess, for people that may not have an idea on what goes on. Um, because, yeah, I mean, the the whole finished on grass is, to us, is, is a very exciting and sort of a proud thing to be able to do because um, there's not a hell of a lot of area in Australia that we can, you know, background young stock so well um, and, and finish. Um, you know, we've got reasonably reasonably um, consistent seasons, although the last seven have been, <laughs> been a bit wild. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a special thing to be able to, to send an animal off um, that doesn't have to have a, a pellet of grain or, or anything like that um, <clears throat> to be enjoyed by by people who want to eat grass-fed beef. Um, you know, the states have got a lot of corn-fed meat and mm. feedlots are a big part of their um, their system over there and it's just a breath of fresh air, I guess, to be able to share with the world what we can do down here in Australia. Where do your owners go? Uh, they generally head to feedlots, um, sort of at Wyala. Angus? Yeah, Ang- yeah. Angus. Yeah. And then all the trade cattle, um, JBS takes a lot of them, um, you know, and they obviously fall into a feedlot system, which, which you know, at the end of the day is an economic thing um, for us and, you know, we're having to carry bull- kill bullocks through another season, you know, adds, mm. you know, their adjustment rate increases and, and it, yeah, you can fill the farm up pretty quickly with oversized animals um, that you're sort of hoping to get off. Um, but but that that weight, that spec that they've given us to get these um, to get these heifers to is doable for us. Um, whereas <coughs> the steers have generally got to be that you know extra hundred kilos. So you, so you would you consider uh, this is not a loaded question. I'm just interested because I'm kind of you know thinking similar things. The weaners you would normally sell. 
would you is, is you are they at a weight or maybe the, are they at a weaning weight that you could then sell them to Holland Beef and then they stay here? You've kind of yeah, you, you've kind of like you, mm. you've done the experiment so to speak on their cattle, yep. as in oh no, we can get them at point four weight gains for the winter. Mm. You know, we can the, the mass works out. You know, they're here. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. might I mean it's probably something you already considered, but I, I guess and yeah. may, maybe there's a the weights don't kind of work out in terms of induction weights and weaning weights versus what yeah, their system is. Yeah. No, it's something that they've – Tony's um, – he's mentioned to me about, you know, if you've got weaners to sell, uh, we generally hang on to them to grow them out to feed a cattle, but, it, you know, mm. it's a – and there are, you know, a lot of guys around this part of the world that do just sell off weaners, you know, big runs of weaners to, to the annual weaner sales, you know, it's sort of 300 kilos, 270 to 300. That's a pretty large market. Um, and the money's been good. It has been, yeah. Mm. And you know, and that's always part of you know at the at, of someone's business is is the economic uh, of it, and you know mm. you've got to you've got to make it work for you. But it's definitely something to think about. Um, generally, you know, we've seemed to get Highland heifers. Um, we haven't seen too many steers come through as yet. Um, okay. And a lot of our heifers are retained for breeding, so we're sort of um, yeah we enjoy that part of. That enterprise, anyway, the breeding enterprise and sourcing bulls and you know bits and pieces and playing around, trying to breed the best animal we can, um, sort of with with what we've got. Yeah. Um, what are some of the sort of going back to then maybe um, GFP? You finished did GFP, kind of some epiphanies and you know, things resonated. Picked up Maya. Um, did you come back from GFP going, Mum and Dad, my God, you know, let's do this, let's do that? Um, did they just look at each other going, oh, no, he's finally got it? You know, <laughs> like what was the, what was kind of the trend? You know, was there yeah. like a did – the, did, did, did you put the foot on the accelerator a lot and, yeah. you know, under Mum's and Dad's supervision or what What was that? What was the sign? Yeah, I think it, it definitely – solidified the information that they'd been feeding to me and and sort of and I you know I asked a hell of a lot of questions in that week I got a sore jaw um but yeah definitely came back here were you, cha- were you did you open them in a challenge uh, ask them in a challenging way or an inquisitive way uh, inquisitive way yeah like why is that so yeah and, and and we were lucky enough to have Terry take the school um mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's, as you know, he's got a wealth of knowledge. Um, and there was, yeah, lo- lots of conversation. And even between the, the other the other guys doing the course at that time, you know, great conversations and, you know, you learn a lot off other people. But when the week finished and we came back here, yeah, it really, I sort of thought, I went, you know, looked at the farm map and thought, oh, you know, these some of these wedges are still too big. You know, we can get better density, um, you know, and, and, yeah, that took a long, you know, a lot of time spent fencing, single wire, hot wires, cutting places up. Um, yeah, just just basically, yeah, utilisation was probably a big part of it that we were we were underutilising some of the paddocks and, and just making that a little bit smaller. And, and yeah, that was, spent a lot of time fencing um, and digging trenches and things like that um, and getting water in and that, yeah. But it just, I suppose it, it really solidified what, what the younger learnings I had and yeah and it kind of made you know it made sense just even from plant like right through from plant growth to soil health they touched on everything or or every aspect pretty well of of farm production we you know it was just a grazing one we didn't do the farming one um you know and that and that was yeah it was probably one of the 
best learning weeks of my life, I reckon. Yeah. And even personally, you know, they talk about, you know, your own your own being and, you know, your own goals and wishes and wants and whatnot um, and directions you want to go. Um, yeah, and I guess it sharpened my sharpened my uh, knife a bit on on learning more about stock too, I guess, like, you know, feed intake, um, you know, as they're gaining weights, their intakes increases and whatnot. And, you know, the whole lap, the whole thing about DSE and, and, you know, kilograms per hectare and feed budgeting and things that I wasn't really that, that sharp on, you know, it really, yeah, it sparked my interest. Um, what other, apart from, I guess, some of the learnings from, from GFP, you know, fencing, water wire, um, budgeting. What other kind of practices did you were you doing here already? Your mum, dad doing that was sort of related to GFP, but not core topics in there, um, or that you've sort of <clears throat> you've you've adapted, in the, you know, since then, like any other sort of uh, soil um, pasture improvement techniques or mm. any other kind of yeah. Things. So we've. Uh We've done soil testing, you know, for a long time here and there's, you know, deficiencies, um, the, the cal-mag ratios right out. You know, we've got a high magnesium in these soils up here in the New England with sort of basalt soil. Right. Um, so, you know, we've spent time spreading lime um, over paddocks and we've sort of got, we've got a set of cells down on the road here that we've sort of throwing a bit of time and money at. Um, and and it's in, to experiment, kind of thing. Or, yeah, or just, just yeah. Probably we're working around the place, but you know it takes time and money. Uh, you know it's not cheap to to do it. Um, so we're sort of doing a little bit every year. You know, working on a working on a cell area. Um, but it's very interesting that we've the, the sort of the set of cells down there. It's named Barbara's. Is its carrying capacity is phenomenal. And its recovery is phenomenal, and we've we have spent a bit of money and time down there, and it's sort of uh, yeah, its recovery is just yeah tenfold on on the, lot of the rest of the place. <clears throat> what are the variables there compared to say next door? Not not, not the neighbour next door, but the paddock next door. Like, is is it a, is it a bit more alluvial there? Is it like you know, are there variables that may account for some of that in, yeah. increase, or you or or is it like you've got almost a control and you're saying no, there's some serious, you know, it's been a good investment in yeah. this. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's soil type. You know, over the fence line doesn't change a hell of a lot across this eastern side of the property. Um, but mineral deficiencies, you know, we're spreading boron and things like that. Um, and, yeah, just, just picking up those deficiencies, it just, you know, if we could do the whole place, it would be fantastic, but there are restraints in, in doing that. Um, but what we've done, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of uh, 40 hectares down there that we've worked on. Um, you know, we've got more to go. Um, it's not perfect by any means, mm. but it's it's a start. Um, that reminds me, conveniently, that we um, are like, as in maybe tomorrow or yesterday, or maybe late last week, released dates for our biodynamic workshop at um, Danthonia. Oh yeah, up at um, Inverell. At Inverell there, or Inverell Glen. Um, I think it's like the second week in February. So yeah. if anyone wants to know that, book themselves in, uh, go to charlieannett.com.au, look at events, and there is, that's the event. I think it's the second, second yeah, mid-February um, next year. Mm. So that's 2023, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, 
So, because I'm referencing that because that will help with availability. Yeah. Of nutrients, you know. Did, yeah. Was this a lot of super, well, you said, did Ad put super out here? Yeah, it was a heavily, I mean, that was, you know, back in the 60s and Clover was fat lambs and whatnot. Mm. And it was, it, super was going out that he couldn't, couldn't put enough out. Um, and, yeah, I guess it's probably the learnings on what super does to soil, soil structure. Um, you know, it'll, grow a great, it'll grow a great bulk of feed, but what's going on underneath the soil um, may not be so pretty. And so, yeah, we're sort of, if we can say, well, healthy soil, healthy pasture, healthy cattle, um, it's, yeah, it's from the from the soil up, I, I suppose, and and spreading spreading these minerals is is one way that we that we uh, yeah try and get that achieved. Um, what else? Uh, um, so some, some some soil amelioration, if that's the right word. Yep. Um, what what other things are you doing out there in the paddock that's 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 you know experimental or yeah? So I've recently cool. bought a um, disc seeder. Mm-hmm. So what what brand? It's a Conache. Oh yeah, an old one. It's about as old as you and I put together. Really, maybe cool. older. Did someone? That's not possible. <laughs> what um, is is it being reconditioned and put yeah, snazzy I've things on? Done a few <clears throat> yeah, a few bearings and whatnot. Got it, got it jazzed up. Um, but yeah, it's sort of it's something that I've I'm interested in. You know, inoculating seed with a. Um, by Island Biologicals, a guy down the coast, and um, oh yeah, um, uh, just trying to think of his name. Yeah. Anyway, he's yeah. I'm gonna. Oh, that's terrible because I he was at. Um, oh, where was I've he? I've got the jar. I've got the yeah got the bottle of it in my on my passenger yeah, seat. Yeah, truck. yeah, yeah. I know, I know. That's terrible. <laughs> but anyway, he's down around the on the on the sort of the east coast here, and. Uh, Around Coffs Harbour, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It does a bit of work up around here. Yeah, Lee Fieldhouse. Lee, that's it. Well done, that's well done, him. done. Yeah, he was. I can't remember where I saw him last. It was up something up here. Mm. Um, I know where it was. It was at um, uh, Windy Station at um, uh, Corindai. Yeah, right. At a, you must have been May last year, mm. and that next day I interviewed Stuart Austin up at in some seedy hotel in Tamworth. <laughs> Um, he and love that. Hey? he would love. He that. loved. It. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was my room. Was it my room? My room. He had the. He had the. He, his room had the spa. You reckon he was touting off about how wonderful it was in my crappy room, um, and that's where it was. And he was there um, with his wares. Yeah. And um, that was. I can't remember. Oh, that was a, a local regional land care. Um, yeah. Catchment wide. That was a bloody good day. Actually. Yeah. So Lee's. Um, he's. Provide. He's you know, got a couple of guys up here that are using some of his product, like Jason Simmons at Armadale. He's he's also a guy that sort of does a bit of consulting on soil um, plants. What's his name? Sorry, Jason. Jason Simmons at the Simo. Over, the Overseer Saddlery. Oh, yeah. um, he's someone that I've approached before and and bought some of this inoculant out. It's a you know it's a biological. Um, so inoculating yeah, the seed that the you're seed, putting into your yeah, machine. Yeah. So what, what's what is it a mix of what? So it's it's a pasture blend. Um, yeah, just a New England pasture base that probably would like to reinvigor some of the some of the native perennial pasture. perennial stuff. Yeah, yeah, perennial stuff. So what's in that? Oh, it's clovers, coxfoots, phalaruses. Um, yeah, yep, you no know, yep, fescues. You yep, name it. Yep. Um, there's a few in there, um, but also you know trying to do. Some more of this um, 
multi-species stuff, you know, turnips and mm. things like that, to, to be tap-rooted things um, to get, you know, that nutrient cycling going would be somewhere I'd like to head. Um, we do we do have a bit of a problem with Chilean needlegrass, which oh, yeah. raises its head in sort of the summer. And so I suppose with the stocking rate and, you know, density on that, trying to sort of, yeah, mm. make it a little bit more palatable. Um, but, you know, it's definitely getting getting a, seeing a bit of a change with getting around it with, with higher stock rates in smaller areas, a bit of trampling, um, knocking that seed to the ground rather than, you know, larger paddocks that they just walk around it, you know, and they need to get a free run and, and mm. you know, cattle and sheep and goats and whatnot never go near it. But, um, yeah, by, by sort of <clears throat> decreasing the paddock size and upping the stocking rate and keeping them on the move, you know, they, they sort of treat the paddock as, you know, graze everything. Clean it up. Yeah, yeah. Try it, um, serrated tussock, and I don't know if they're related, they're, they're certainly, certainly um, grasses, um, serrated tussock down in... Um, down our way, I don't think we've got any serrated tussock. And also African lovegrass, we've got mm. a little bit of that somewhere. Um, Hamish Mackay, or Martin Royds from Braidwood, he had serrated tussock. Yeah. And he kind of worked out, it was a bit of a funny yarn, he, the, the Braidwood was a Bungendore music festival was on, so, and of course they've got cubicles there and everyone mm. has a wee and so on. He collected all the... Urine, yeah, right. From which probably wasn't just urine, I'm sure, at a music <laughs> festival. So that might have something to do with it. Yeah. Anyway, he um, and he collected that, and then he sprayed it on his um, uh, serrated tussock, and he found it would pretty much knock it out. Yeah, right. And he and then and he reckons it's the nitrogen, the ammonia in there. Yeah. Exactly. And then he went, well, there's an easier way. So he was getting like half handfuls of urea. Yeah. And then putting it on. Um, Tussock, you know, the tussocks of the, of the yep. serrated tussock, and they were dying. Yeah, and yeah. Within the, and then the thinking is um, it's there trying to accumulate nitrogen. Yeah. And so yep. if you put nitrogen on it, it goes, I don't need to be here, and basically kills it. Yeah, yeah. And you don't, you know, as opposed to maybe, you know, it's, I don't know how selective, you know, how many selective herbicides there are for Chilean needlegrass, but maybe as an idea, get yourself a bag of urea, <laughs> yeah. just don't have it near diesel, yeah, yeah. and then um, throw a couple of handfuls and, some, and just see what happens. Yeah, no, it's 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 something we sort of don't really want to be spraying willy-nilly no. with it. Um, we do we do a few boundaries with, with neighbours and stuff um, to keep it off fence lines, but, you know, broad, broad acre spraying because there's a lot of good stuff in between it. Totally. And, mm. you know, you've got to, and someone once wise told me that, you know, you've got to look at the good, not the bad, um, and that's sort of that's sort of something that I I suppose my philosophy is to focus on the good stuff, mm. not so much the bad stuff, because it'll it'll eat you up and spit you out if you if you worry about it too much. Um, but it, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of tools out there to, and things to try. You know, it's it's just it's a revolving feast, and and you know no season's the same. You know, it'll come up worse in some years and not so bad in others. Like they, particularly these wet years. It hasn't been anywhere near as bad. Okay. Well, is that because you in competition? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the some things. of those front paddocks you drive in, you mm. know, you know, they're beautiful and green at the moment. Um, you know, we've just started our growing season really only a week ago. Um, yeah, by sort of summer, it'll want to, it'll start to rear its head. Yeah, um, right. And, you know, that's sort of why some of those paddocks are a little bit smaller. We can sort of trample it down and 
and yeah, it's competition. You know, mm. get other get get the desirables up through it, mm. and yeah. Sort of. well, well, is there any chili and needle grass near the house? Oh, yeah, I reckon there would be. Yeah, just probably. go find a little tuft and go and drain the spuds on it and see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah mum, mum and seed on the mower. <laughs> but yeah, there'd be a, maybe she can weigh on it. There'd be, there'd be uh, yeah, there'd be a few plants around. Yeah. But you, you can put that to an I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'll I just met her, so it's not, not for me to <laughs> p- for, uh, for present. <laughs> um, oh, I want to just get back to early weaning. You said you weaned early that time. I was having chats with our vet, Tom Graham, who's been fantastic for us with sort of changing a few things, you know, for our production systems mm. and weaning. We weaned far too late this year, just gone and... Um, and then the, the, especially the cow, second calves, so they've had their first calf and then yeah. weaned them too late and they're struggling at the moment with calves on the on, on the ground and, and it was just made us look at that whole sort of mm. whole system. And Tom was saying, you know, from a science point of view and a um, physiological point of view, you know, weaning at 10 weeks, you know, was it 10 to 12, 10, 11, 12 weeks mm. of age, a calf, because they're, they're, they're Epiglottis or their glottis or something. So there's a sort of a channel in their throat. Yeah. <clears throat> when they're young, <clears throat> the milk when they do, you know, have a have a drink, it goes pretty much into their gut and it's ninety yeah. percent into, into the first part of their room and it's a ninety percent you know efficiency or effectiveness of yeah. that. <clears throat> and then post that day that ten to twelve week period, there's a change in yeah, their sort of physiology. Yeah. <clears throat> and then and then everything goes in, they start eating grass and whatever. And there's a fifty percent or less efficiency there. So, yeah. so in that point of view, weaning at that age um, doesn't necessarily throw them back because if they stop having milk, it doesn't change a hell of a yeah. lot. You know, some yeah. people would probably say, "Well," and understandably, there's that whole thing about being on their mother and mothering and nurturing, or whatever. So yeah. there's that consideration. But it was interesting that you know, ten weeks, and even with lambs at seven, yeah. forty days. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, that's." I mean, for some, it's a real consideration. I know in the drought, reluctancy to wean early, mm. but really, is it that early? Yeah, you know, when you consider right. all those yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what age yours were when you weaned them? Uh, so they were born. Um, heifers were started calving in August, um, and it was obviously getting dry. And then the cows started in September. Mm. They're a little bit later, um, and then what, so September, October, November three. It would have been three months. It was beginning of December. We we uh, put them in the yards. Well, there's your twelve weeks. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they were. But I mean, they, were, they were in good order. You know, mums yeah. were starting to, the fat was starting to milk a bit off their backs. Mm. The calves were in good order. And we just thought, you know, if this is going to keep going and, you know, the mm. feed rain wasn't coming and whatnot. So to keep mum looking looking good and, and the calf, yeah, pretty well just had to come off. And, you know, they went on to a, a hay ration and, and some pellets in the yards, something we don't really ever do, but we just, you know, it was, it was just another... Bit of trial and error, and the calves they, they presented really well. You know, there was no, um, you know, time lag in weight gains and whatnot. They were they were firing along, and you know, the the sister, the girls got got joined the following that that year. Um, yep. You know, at three hundred kilos, three twenty. Yes, they are at at weight, yeah. notable weight. Yeah, and um, and the steers went off at, at at the regular time, so it wasn't a it wasn't a huge. Um, yeah, we didn't see a massive production loss through that, but I think the Biggest thing was to keep the cow um, in good order for rejoining as well. Oh, as we got, 
you know, 100% that year. It was, mm. it was just like, wow, you know, because, mm. um, yeah, it was, it was great. Well, that's certainly something that I've been, I was looking at my notes here when I spoke to Tom, it's certainly something I've been much more aware of is that, is that getting him into calf mm. and, and in that second, that second mating yeah. and then having that second calf and just giving them all the good stuff like the nurturing and yeah. so on because that's where you can lose a lot of money and a lot of production yeah. just, you know, yeah. just by dropping, dropping the ball there. Yeah. What other um, <clears throat> practices that you so multi-species pasture cropping, bit of soil soil action, you know, a few minerals and things. Yeah. Anything else that jumps out as a as a as a practice that's um, do, you have, do you have to plant trees here at all? Yeah. So if mum's mum's pretty big into gardening and planting trees, and we've you know we've ripped tree lines and done a lot of put in a lot of poplars along the drive. Mm. Um, some tree lines. <gasps> you mean <laughs> oh non-natives? How rude. <laughs> Um, and yeah, some bigger tree lanes down on the western side, like yeah. you know, cor- more like corridors. And they've and they were done a few years ago now, and the mm. trees are up and looking great. Um, mm. But yeah, the, the 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 dry spell really knocked a lot of trees around, and and then you know from the rain even the grounds that wet, and you know we get howling winds from the southwest, and you know they blow. You know we're losing a lot just through wind. Natives or some of yeah, the natives. the the exotics, yeah. the, no the natives, natives, the white gums. You know they seem to blow. They all snap like a paddle pop pretty well. Well, they're really um, surprisingly um, shallow rooted. Yeah, you know they're not like a big deep deep, deep tap root like a yeah. oak or a. Yeah, whatever you know. We it, a lot of stringy bark down you know. on the western side. Um, yeah, we can get windstorms through here, and there's one paddock on the far eastern end, and you know it's beautiful, beautiful part of the world up there. And went in one morning after a massive storm, and I think we've lost fifty percent of the trees in there have gone really? over. Yeah, it was it was quite a sight. Um, and you you know we try and. If we see suckers in in bad spots, like along a fence line, we might take it out. But but anything that's growing in a paddock, you know, we'll try and do our best to keep it to happy. To let it go. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's that's. I mean, you know, dare I say, important. There's no such way up there. Yeah. Um, dieback. Did you has you had is dieback something that you that was was up here in New England dieback? Was it a problem? Is it less of a problem? Or you know, like where's that all up to now? Yeah. No, we haven't seen a massive. Massive um, problem with dieback. It's more, I think it's just the ages of them, you know, the, they're getting to that point in their life and a lot of the black sallies starting to, to keel over. Um, around Armidale, I know they've definitely had bad bad experiences with dieback and and some of the hills around Tilbuster, um, you know, just died in the drought. It was just so mm. bloody dry, mm. um, which is, you know, and that's a massive, massive around Mount Juval. Um, oh, yeah. You know, huge Huge areas of trees, so you know we're pretty happy to to let um, to let them grow. And we've even you know there's a we've got a tree block down on the far western end that's you know we're looking at turning into a, a conservation area. Um, you know we can still graze it and yeah, under some like covenant that. kind of thing. Yeah, who's out with? Uh, we were approached by the LLS. Okay, um, yep. Maybe a sub. Sub branch from them um, is that it, Northern Tablelands LLS? Is yeah, that the that's the one. Yep. And then you know they want to make it a koala, a koala sort of habitat. Mm. Um, but you know there's you know it's it's relatively lighter soil down there, and its carrying capacity is not huge. So we only graze it sort of for for a few weeks of the year. So um, that's not a big impost on you. Not a huge no. problem, no. So you know it's something that we could we've been looking at, mm. um, and yeah, it's just another 
part of trying to yeah keep keep the world treed. Tell us about goats. You got you got a few. Yeah, we've got a few. When do they turn up? Do they, they turn up or like out of someone, <laughs> someone, or do they, you and I hang on? Yeah, there's a few that might, yeah, they just turn up. But uh, no, they were bought as an enterprise from mum and dad back in the 80s from Winnering, yeah. Western oh, yeah. New South Wales. Mm. And they. They went out there and got them or there was. They yeah, they trucked, some... no, they trucked them up here. So there was a few producers oh. around and a few of their sort of friends that, that got a mob each and they were using them to eat blackberry. Yep. Um, How'd that go? Yeah. Would have been very interesting to be a fly on the wall when they turned up. Um, you know, feral goats they were, um, and they were dropped down to the yards, and they made old silos, sort of with high chicken netting and ring lock and stuff to kill, to keep them contained, to try and sort of humanise them a little bit, get them used to seeing seeing people. And they got, you know, they don't know over time they they sort of, and it was only only sort of a hundred at that point, and then. Um, Mum started crossbreeding them with cashmere bucks to keep the numbers up, and so they were shearing cashmere just to make a little bit of mm. something back off them. Um, and that I remember, you know, doing that as a kid. And uh, and then over time, we ended up getting more for the carcasses of the cull, weathers, and does than we were for cashmere because the market mm. started to started to slide south. Yeah. And so we moved into a meat goat, which mm. is now a boar and, and Kalahari, um, and we sort of crossbred and, and whatnot back over over boar bucks, and over time they've just sort of evolved now and into a, yeah, into a full boar um, and, and a bit of red in there. Um, they're a meat goat, so they're just the same as a self-replacing herd. We, you know, we keep the does, um, sell all the weathers. They generally... We were sending them to, to abattoirs and whatnot. Um, what, what do you get for a, a kilo, like compared to oh, lamb? Is it? Is it? What? Yeah, it's not too bad. I think it's about eight dollars fifty at the moment. Jeez. Um, it's been yeah, it's been up and down a little bit, much like the good job. Um, but we've sort of taken it to the next step by sourcing uh, local butchers to mm. to take them. Um, local being well, you know, Brisbane yeah. to, to the New England and whatnot. Yeah. Um, trying to build that. That area a little bit because um, it's nice to to sell to sell your own product and see it hanging in the butcher and totally. and we're getting really good feedback from from guys you know they're they're crying out for it in the cities mm. um, which is which is great so um, yeah that's sort of another little enterprise that we're we're poking along with um, we seem to be breeding them more than quicker than we're then we're selling them. Unfortunately, we've joined six hundred nannies this year, so mm. you know we may end up with a thousand kids um, come marking in November. So you know the numbers will be getting up. Yeah. And how's how's fencing uh, containment? How's that all work? Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, they're pretty good. They're sort of we keep them under sort of seven wire planes, um, and they graze. They graze in the cell areas like the cattle do. The cell areas are single wire, but the perimeter lines of them are, are heavily fenced, you know, are, are sort of, I guess you call them elephant-proof. Um, so so keep, and those perimeter wires are their planes with hots. Hots, yeah. so alter, alternating. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, what, three and four? Yeah, and goats okay. are... Is that Western, is it Western fencing? No, it's just oh, like a lot of it's just concrete. Concrete with steels, um, okay, and and, and, steels. and insulators in the whole yeah, yep. and then um, you know the old split posts and whatnot. Yeah, but the but the goats are a um, they're a great you know they're a nomadic animal, and they sort of enjoy being on the move. So if you find that 
you know, and that fits in pretty well with our philosophy. They kind of, if we keep them on the move, they don't want to move themselves so much. You know, they won't okay. go looking for a move. Yep. If you um, do it, you kind of let them or yeah. do it for them. With the, you said you split the paddocks up with a single plane mm. in the middle. Like, like, so, well, wherever, not Yeah, you know, like, so a wagon wheel yeah. um, may have eight wedges off it, yeah. but the perimeter is... Is very is, secure. Is secure, so we can let the goats run through behind the cattle. Wow. And um, tell me, how much power is going through that single wire? Oh, it's running pretty hot. It'll restart your heart. Um, it's about 10.5 out on the west side. Yeah, we well, you'd um, want that. I, I'm, that's that's yeah. fascinating. A single wire is keeping a boar goat. Oh no, the, no the the cell. Sorry, the cell lines aren't. It's the perimeter lines that are keeping them. So uh, we cell graze the cattle. Yeah, and then the goats sort of get a quick run behind them. Oh, but they have access to the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I'm with you now. Right, right, right. Yeah. So they, that's a bit like how we were doing our lambs. Yeah. Cattle. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That that and makes it's kind sense. Of, um, yeah. I so mean, you, it's always yeah. it's an evolving sort of area and, mm. and, you know, we're trying to do up fences as, as best mm. we can and replace and whatnot. But do you say goats can go in after the, sh- the cattle? Yeah, yeah, we try and keep generally. them in behind them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But we have the same restraints, um, you know, as, as the sheep guys do, you know, worms and barber's pole and things like that. You know, it's still a, you know, it's, still, it's yeah. still a thing um, that we have to be but Bad barber's pole this last year or two? Yeah. Not, or worse yeah, than normal? I've heard some... some Bad resistance stories around the place, but we haven't been too bad. We didn't lose, yeah, many goats at all, which mm. was good. And I think that's a huge part of it's keeping them on the go, you know, yep. moving them around. Um, yeah, keeping them on fresh pick. As soon as they start to sort of squallow in their own camps, mm. then, then things can start to get a bit nasty. Let's go to fires. You mentioned earlier about um, the fires well nearby or next door where they couldn't mm. get to the neighbours. Did you have fires here? Yeah, we, yeah. we did. We had um, In what year was that? It was November 2019, yeah. I was wow. going off to the G-Bung races in Walker and I got there and then I pretty well turned around and came straight back home. <laughs> yeah, there was... Um, a and next week on the Regenerative Journey, my guest is Tom Mulligan. He uh, is a farmer. He's um, in the Tablelands of New South Wales. His family farm yeah, there, doing some amazing things. He's a member of the Highland yeah, Beef Pastoral Company, a farmer and grazier group, and doing wonderful things with them in collaboration, fattening their grass, fed animals. We lost a couple of. Um, sort of heavy tree Great walks. yarn with Tom. Lovely. Um, I've known Tom for but, some but years I, now. It was just great was to sit down here. We didn't lose too much. Simply you know, family home, um, have the chat, talk about farming, we, talk about his know, life. Big talk about high and beef. And, it's a good yarn. Um, That's next week. Yeah, a lot of Tom the Mulligan, scrub burnt, um, which, which looked great. You know, when the, when the fires are out, it cleaned them up. Mm. But the regrowth is phenomenal. Um, you know, fire is. Is what is what some seeds need to, to get going, and and that's what happened. Um, so you know, it's a cycle. It'll 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 grow and die and fall and burn again. You know, probably again in my lifetime. Um, but yeah, it was a very sort of a challenging few weeks for sure. Um, with that regrowth that you're now getting, uh, I'm just going to write that one down. Uh, is well, how are you going to manage that? Is it something like oh well, I don't know, or you you put your goats in there, or yeah. Or, you know. So funnily enough, the goats do eat wattle, which is what's shot back yeah. pretty heavily. Um, yeah. You know they'll they'll chew it down to, you know they'll sort of stand on their hind legs and chew it. But unfortunately, water gets up to sort of the height of the ceiling. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, it's. I mean, it's not terrible, but it. You know, it's definitely there. Um, and and even eucalypts have shot like you've never seen. Um, and you know, like anything, they'll be out competed with other with other trees and whatnot mm-hmm. over time. Um, so that presents as a as an access kind of a issue potentially, yeah, like just we, getting animals in and out. And yeah, getting them out's probably <laughs> putting them yeah. in there's all right. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> getting them out's an issue. Um, but yeah, we we sort of we do spot spray along our boundary lines just to keep the the fence lines clear. Um, yeah, just because of the fire, just it you know jump boundaries and jump containment lines and whatnot, and and it sort of sparked yeah regrowth pretty heavily in 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 both sides of the fence. But yeah, if we can keep the the lines clean and and whatnot, then it access yeah it makes life a lot a lot, a lot easier. Had uh, had your dad had experienced fires like that in, in before? Yeah, so funnily enough, it was like I think we were talking about seventy nine. Mm-hmm. He said the exact same thing happened. Yeah. Same direction, so same yeah, really, yeah, just a. You know, and regrowth and everything. Yeah, yeah. you know, it re- shot up and died mm. and fell and just it pretty well. You'd say it was a powder keg, really. Yeah. <laughs> and, ready to go. Yeah. He had it all. He had it all ready to go yeah. by twenty nineteen. And you know, but that's that's what nature does. Mm. Um, and you know, we've just got to roll with the punches. Um, I noticed a driving into Ben Lomond um, on the left hand side, um, and then in Ben Lomond, and then I, and then it looks like your front gate a sign. About some turbines. Yes, that's been a topic of discussion around the community. Um, there's been a few companies approach landholders around here um, about the possibility of getting getting some renewables going, or some wind turbines, um, and it's been met with, yeah, I suppose open arms and other people not so happy about it. Um, Probably yeah, infecting their their way of life, and their you know this is a nice, quiet piece of paradise up here, and um, so there's two sides to it, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's been a pretty big topic of because there is a wind farm not far from here, um, up at um, Maybole. Oh, what's that called? It's that's um, no. it's White Rock, White Rock, White Rock, and then uh, so that's west of Glen. No, no, it's south of Glen, and it runs between here uh. and Glen. With the sort of on, on, on this western side, yeah, the yes, okay, and Water. then um, a sapphire runs almost. You'll see it like Danthonia, that sort mm. of around along that that ridge line there between Danthonia and Glen, isn't it? Yeah, kind of pretty well. You drive almost through it, yeah, from memory. Yeah. And there's you know there's a hell of a lot of turbines through there, and I they really you know the government's talking about making the New England a renewable capital of Australia um, through solar farms and wind farms and whatnot. So. Yeah, it's a bit of a watch this space, I think. Is there, I've noticed that, I know it, um, knowing a few people at Walker, mm. and there's been a few recent public meetings and developers there, and yeah. I don't, I I, um, I don't, look again, it's it's a, why I battled wind farms for two years straight, some years ago, mm. 10 years ago, at Burrawa, and stopped one that was going to be literally within 1.2 kilometres of my house. Mm. So I was happy to have done that. It was exhausting and nearly killed me. But um, and now there's a few wind farms turning up there. My 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 view on wind farms is pretty. I'm pretty stuck on my yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. having experienced what I did. Yeah, yeah. But I understand at Walker too, the, you know, public meetings and I don't know what proportion for and against. And it's always going to be fors and against for those sort of things. But it's interesting. Again, you know the you know what I experienced. 
the the tactics haven't changed a hell of a lot mm-hmm. in terms of you know the approach in the communities and how that yeah. how that even the re, even the reaction of the community is exactly the same because it's the same issue that that is divisive that is the fors and against and the, the host and the non-host yeah. and the, you know who's benefiting and who's not and the community funds that they kind of which I call bloody much, pretty much blackmail yeah um, yeah yep. and um, that sort of thing so I was interested on and I'm being aware of the ones up up further north but I wasn't until today, aware that sort of, I guess the the um, potential encroachment yeah, around yeah. here. Yeah, no, it was going to be a, a fairly. Yeah, they were very close to here. We even, you know, they wanted to put them on Ban Wang here. Um, so yeah, there's been a bit of kickback, um, and I think that's the, the issue too. You know, kickback from you guys or from yeah, neighbours or from, from neighbours from us. Yeah. Um, so you're on you're on that side. Of yeah, the thing, yeah, it? and it's sort of. The, the big push really was around the village, I think. Um, you know, the quality of life for the guys that live in the village was going to be pretty ordinary. You know, they were putting them very close to school. I was going to uh, say the schools, that's a concern. Yeah, thing. and, you know, it's and that's the issue too is the hosts and non-hosts and, mm. yeah, it's just gets a, it can be a little bit messy. It is a tough one because, I mean, you can't blame anyone for, I mean, the biggest yeah. incentive, and this is what we um, – Experienced firsthand was developers turning up saying we're going to save the planet with these turbines mm. and making you feel bad if you weren't on board, mm. and yeah. then you know throwing the money around the contracts, yeah. and that's a whole other thing. Yeah, but yeah. you know, yeah. kind of that's the premise of it all. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they know full well the motivation for farmers is the money yeah, per yeah. turbine per year, yeah, that's and right. that's you know drought proof your farm. All this bollocks about drought proofing your farm. It's like yeah. well, it's not like you, there's nothing to do with drought. It's just like it's money in the bank, whether it's a good yeah. year or a bad year, and and you know all this sort of just yeah. the tactics and they and, it, and 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 I understand having spoken with a few people near Walker, it's the same deal. And we I um I um they had a public meeting. And what we used to, what we did at Pura, we had public meetings ago, we invited all the developers. Yeah. And there were two or three of them at the time, like different ones, different mm. things. And we said, you are invited. You will give you the stand for 10 or 15 minutes. You can tell us all about these wonderful things. Yeah. You can have a seat, an open forum and a debate and whatever you want, like a totally, you know, yeah. all open. Yep. And we said, and we what we do is we would have seats on the stage with signs on them saying who's here. And so we'd yeah. put signs up for them. Yeah, right. And so this is Bob from... Whoever, yeah. Of course, they never turn up. But there'd be empty seats sitting on the stage, yeah. identifying everyone. These bastards didn't even want to turn up. Yeah, you know. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a hard one. And then I think that's it's quite sort of fickle. Like they've changed hands, developers over the time. Like the, oh, they do. Yeah. Name one wind farm that hasn't started with that ha, that yeah. has started and finished, as in from from the, uh, the initial um, yeah. walking onto someone's farm to bait them with a yeah. dodgy contract mm-hmm. to the turbines turning. Yeah. I don't know if it's yeah, ever happened. No, that's right. Yep. So I mean, right. look, I don't want to bang on too much about it. My my view is pretty <laughs> clear. Like you're getting worked up. Oh, <laughs> it, 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 well, it was a really challenging couple of years for my family and business and the whole thing. Yeah. And it was so. There's that sort of not scarring, but it was a that that significant thorn. Yeah. And I just see it ha- rolling. I think hasn't you know. Have we not learnt? Mm. Have we not kind of looked? I mean, because we got we got a fellow called Stephen Cooper who was an acoustician for oh know, yeah pubs, and he like he was a, he was a really really well respected acoustician. He'd mm. never had anything to do with them, and we got him on the job, and he went, I cannot believe he put his monitoring gear up yeah. all over the country, yeah. all over the country, and he said, I cannot believe the ridiculous noise regulations yeah. that aren't actually regulations; it is bollocks. And he's dare I say now a, a world leading. 
because Dishon in that space, yeah. um, dare I say independent because he's not paid by, oh, well, maybe right. some community members, yeah. you know, like throwing a hat and the, yeah. the money in a hat, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and not developers. And, yeah, I think he was like kicked out of the... New South Wales Acousticians yeah, Club or whatever right. it was and, you know, all these sort of – anyway, again, I won't buy it. Yeah, but it's, so it's, it's it's quite a – I just watch with interest as to how this thing goes and, and that's, you know, and then, anyway, I've got a pretty strong view on solar and not so – self, like yeah. solar that's in a house that's running the fridge. Yeah, like, yeah. No-brainer. Yeah, that's right. But um, some of these other big solar projects that are going up that I just don't know. I don't know. I question the micro – the yeah. micro environment impact, yeah, yep. um, community use of resources, recyclability, mm. yeah, there's all that efficiencies. I don't, know. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's, it's a, like a all renewables are wonderful and they're going to save the planet. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things too. And, and about the community dynamic, you know, it's torn apart parts of this area. How, how long ago did it sort of kick off? Like oh, when did they been, turn up? Yeah, twenty. I think they started in about 2010. They started building them. Yeah, and they've they've finished those two, but there's you know stage two to go on, and you know, mm. they want to continue them this this way. In the police sort of been yeah been stamped out a bit. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, that's mm. um, interesting. And again, you know, like the the, the voice of the people, you know, people are speaking, and I think it's great that they feel passionate yeah. enough to stand up. Yeah. And and there is a there's a solid little group in Ben Lomond that are yeah. that are yeah really making noise about it. Yeah. yeah. Which is you know which is great. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, just conscious of the time, Tom, it is um, one hour and 40 in. Um, what we're going to do after this, we're going to have a drain the spuds. You're going to go find a bit of chili and needle grass out there and wee on it. Yeah. Um, and, and then... <laughs> Too many cups of tea. <laughs> you notice you've got your legs crossed there. Um, and we'll do. we'll come back and just do a little 10-minute... 50 minute Q and A, yep. if that's all right, if yep. your time permits, yep. um, for our Patreon members who 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 um, support um, the regenerative journey every month with a you know, ten dollar or so kind of contribution, and they get um, these Q and As, they get our release. So you here will be released to the world on that video <laughs> two weeks before the actual episode comes out on podcast. Right. So those okay. Patreon members get the get the stuff, good stuff early. Yeah. Um, cool. And transcripts of the interviews and also a monthly webinar with me and one of the guests. So one day you can turn up on a on a one one of the months and yeah, have a chat on a Zoom. I won't Im- I won't impose on you in your <laughs> mum and dad's house again. So let's wrap it up there, mate. That's been so good. I'm really really great to fill in the gaps because I've sort of you know yep. been aware. We've chatted often about your activities up here, and really good to sort of put some colour to it. Yeah, no, it's always good to yeah come up and see for yourself. For Sure. That's right. Massive. It's actually, and then what I discovered is it's actually worse than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's shit out <laughs> No, what we're going to do um, after is, after this, do a QA, is head out to the paddock and have a look at some of these Thailand. Yeah. These good. these um, these animals out there, which is um, yeah, awesome, which is fantastic. Right, mate. Very good. We'll Thanks, Charlie. No worries, Tom. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Good on you. Well, that's a wrap for season six of the Regenerative Journey. Um, a few thank yous just to sign off for the for the for the season and the and the year. Well, I guess the, you'll be listening to this in January, so we're in, we'll be getting into a new year. But certainly, season six will be will be finished by then. Um, 
Big, biggest, or well not biggest, I, should, I, I, won't, I won't have favourites, but um, Reese, um, who's been our amazing producer slash editor, um, somewhat director as well, uh, in terms of sort of how we do things and the tech we use and sort of stuff, um, from Jaeger Media has been amazing. He's got a, a, a side banana this year, uh, sorry, this season in, in Sean, um, <coughs> excuse me, and between the two of them, they've rolled out an amazing uh, season six, I reckon. Um, some of our most wonderful interviews. I think we had such good feedback. We always get good, good feedback, but some, you know, well, I love it when people, um, uh, you know, send in, um, uh, you know, comments and so on and say what a significant um, influence or change or, you know, sort of a, a important um, interviews we're, we're doing and the information that we're providing. And the inspiration um, for them to 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 you know progress their own regenerative journeys. So big shout out to Reese um, there at Yoga Media, who's done a wonderful job under trying circumstances, given my um, some somewhat or sometimes um, you know spontaneous, unorganised nature. Lastminute.com uh, <laughs> seems to be a bit of a theme uh, we'll have to address in season seven, Reese. Um, that's for me to work out. Uh, so we've got Reese and Reese and, um, and Sean there. Um, big shout out to my family, um, Angelica and uh, and Mike, his Lila and, and Lila, Lila and Lordy, uh, Venus and Persia, who my step stepdaughters too. Um, not that they have too much to do with the podcast, but they certainly probably wonder why sometimes I'm not around or we're abducted off to all this other weird stuff that I do. Um, Thank you for your patience, everyone there. Also, um, and Angelica's little intros. She she does. If for those who don't know, she does the the um, that was Walter Yena um, at the beginning of every every um, interview for each person. Um, Michelle has been a wonderful um, uh, addition to the team from July. Some of you might have met her there at um, RCS conference in uh, Brisbane. She's just bring brought a whole new level of, I guess. Um, you know, effectiveness and 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 go forward and sort of organisation to the to the team, which is wonderful, and I really appreciate her help. And such a um, yeah, so such a, so enthusiastic, and not having had anything to do with you know farming really before, or certainly not even regenerative farming. Um, conscious conscious person she is, health wise and and living wise, but certainly has made a big contribution to it among what we're doing, and will do so in the future. I trust um, you, the listeners. Um, Big shout out to you because if it wasn't for you, then no one be. This would be pointless. Um, I just, you know, it's happening more and more, and it's really, um, it's wonderful. You know that that often, you know, at an airport or a restaurant or somewhere. Um, I was at the Lord Dudley Pub in Sydney just the other day with a mate, and um, and a fellow said his name was. Oh, I'm going to forget. He might Steve Simon. Anyway, lovely fellow. He just said, "Oh, I'm really enjoying the podcast, and you know, I love this one or whatever." And it was just, it just, it's some of the, it's the most beautiful thing because, um, not knowing them, but they know of the podcast, and obviously getting, getting enough out of it to bother to come up and say good day, which I think is just, just wonderful. So, if you do see me somewhere and you listen to the podcast, don't hesitate to say good day, and um, because I, I just love to know, you know, who your favourites are and. Um, and why, you know, and, and I'm always fascinated with who listens. You know, a lot of a lot of our listeners, I think, 
which is a huge number of our listeners aren't even farmers, which is really interesting as well. I guess we do cover a lot of the topics that um, don't necessarily relate directly to farming um, in terms of practices and you know, geography and that sort of stuff, but um, hopefully the content is you know, it's broad enough that it, it, it touches a whole lot of our different industries and, and, and vocations and interests. Um, so, yeah, if you see me, say good day, please. Um, so, listeners, you are... Um, you're amazing and, and just a big, big thank you. Please um, don't hesitate to sort of, you know, subscribe and, and, and leave comments and reviews and all those things on whatever podcast platforms you're, you're on. Maybe do that now. You know, if, 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 if you've got a minute after this is complete, this season six, um, really appreciate those and I'll be talking about them in season seven and, and certainly, um, you know, um, highlighting that that's that's what we're getting, the, the lovely feedback we're getting. And if you got if you got some other feedback too about other things, you know, don't hesitate to to, um, to put that in there. Maybe don't add it in the review though. <laughs> Please don't give me one star and say, look, you can probably improve on the I don't know sound quality or something. Um, big shout out to Highland Beef, of course, who've been the the sponsors for season six, um, fantastic group of group of um, uh, of men and women there. Um, you know, internally, inter- you know, sort of the admin and the front of house and the sort of the, the people involved in the actual business of um, Holland Beef. But also a big shout out to all the farmers and the graziers who um, are the the member uh, parts of the Holland Beef um, grazing and fattening team. Um, on East, in, in um, Eastern Australia, which is growing, growing very um, quickly. And um, if you have any um, questions about um, your potential involvement or the, the sort of the concept and of Highland Beef, don't hesitate to jump on their website and um, uh, ask some questions. Drop me a DM. Um, very happy to to, to spear you on you know, whatever direction um, is required to get you the information that you um, you need. But um, yeah, look, we're we're thrilled that Highland Beef um, has sponsored the podcast. It's given us a a number of um, other interviews in terms of you know, David Carter and, and Tom, the one you just listened to. So that in itself was was really interesting and good access to those those people um, and sort of bit, put a bit more farmer content into the uh, in season six. So a big shout out to Murray and Tony and and uh, you know the team for um, for their involvement and their support for for the season six. Um, last quick one is to our Patreon members. You know we had a um, Patreon member um, webinar last night, our monthly webinar. With Blair Beattie was our guest. I just love it because it was so many interesting conversations peeled off from that one with Blair. Blair is such an open, honest, sort of transparent dare I say vulnerable person um, in a really good way, in a positive way you know, that he's just so so honest about it um, yeah, his life and, and, and where, we, where we, what he told us last night but then the sort of the connections that are made, you know, they're looking for farmers footprint um, uh, content essentially and farmer stories and we've got a, you know, a huge number of, of farmers in um, uh, Patreon that have got amazing stories that um, you know that Blair can tap into and just the sort of the, the possibilities looking around the, the screen there last night with who was on the call you know all the wonderful things they're doing so if you want to sort of join that Patreon crew don't hesitate there is plenty of content coming away between seasons so don't think oh I'm, I'm going to join Patreon and there'll be no nothing going on because there's nothing um happening between seasons, it's probably even more reason to get on um, and be a Patreon member so, so that between seasons you're actually getting some content, um, the Regenerative Journey content. You'll be getting Q&As from you know, behind the scenes. So after every interview I do with any guests, apart from the ones that lead to bolt out the door, um, like Jacqueline McGlade, um, 
we do a Q&A, a 10, 15, sometimes you know, 20-minute Q&A, which is extra content that only those on Patreon um, get to see. Um, you'll also get, when we get back into seven, uh, Season 7, you'll get the videos of each interview a couple of weeks before the actual interview comes out on your podcast platforms. Um, you get transcripts of all your... All, um, uh, all episodes, excuse me, um, and we've got some other ideas about what other content we can give you um, and create create a potentially another level of um, subscription there. And there's also going to be um, uh, an opportunity to subscribe to Patreon for free and get some very basic um, uh, content or, or access. So that's just like another social media channel, essentially, that I trust you find some value in given it's free. Um, and then if you, if you so choose to step into other... Um, you know, higher levels of subscription or into a subscription model, then um, hopefully that little, you know, the access into the into the, uh, that team is um, the way you might start. So that's going to happen in 2023. Very excited about that. Um, getting our head around the sort of the use of Patreon and, 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 and the wonderful platform it is and, and you know, creating a, a, a really strong dynamic with all these different things that are coming our way and opportunities that are coming our way and, you know, essentially a Patreon's our go-to, you know, um, group of people that if there are opportunities, if there are discounts, if there are sort of things going on in my world and sphere that, um, uh, you know, are useful and interesting to um, the world at large, and then it's, it's my Patreon community that's going to get that stuff first. That's enough for me. Um, that's it for twenty for the season six, and um, just hope you have a wonderful, uh, you know, twenty twenty three. Season seven is on its way, um, but as I said, if you're hanging for content, for something to listen to, to something to watch, to something to get involved in between season six and season seven, do not hesitate to jump on Patreon, and um, we will um, we'll give you enough, not not so much like just enough, but like we'll give you the content you need to get you through to season seven, which I'm really excited about doing. We've got some amazing guests lined up for season seven and um, also looking for any um, uh, if you've got suggestions drop me a DM um, for anyone that you'd like me to interview in season seven okay that's enough for me so enjoyed season six lovely wonderful dynamic group of people on the other microphone when I do my interviews those guests what an amazing bunch all my back back house people and um, you just have a lovely um, lovely, you know, break between seasons and hope that 2023 20, kicks off and is an absolute ball terror. Talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Reese Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.